like any, many, mine, mine, mo, mo. How many players in the club wanna go? I know you see, I know you see. Now you can call me Tip Drill, playing my song. Throw a couple ones, then she throw away her thongs. When she bust it open, take a picture with my phone. She love my cologne, call it poop by the zone. And now she jockin', it's going down. Slap the waitress on the booty, tell her get another round. And when I make it rain, money all over the ground. Fresh Force One, Sean John, button down. And then I'm like, oh, boy, my click full of stars. Big four feet, big chicken, big car. The end of the day when it's all said and done I'ma need four freaks cause I need more than one In it, in it, mine it, How many girls from the club wanna go? I know you see it, I know you see it But like Bill, Bill, Bam, do you want something? She chewing on that shit like a piece of bubble yum I know you see it, I know you see it I'm like any, any Mine, mine, mo. How many players in the club won't go? I know you see it. I know you see it. And I'm like, damn, damn. I know you want some. You're chewing on a pudding like a piece of bubble yum. I know you see it. I know you see it. My cup on full. Fit it on lean. Jeans sag low. My wrist ain't mean. It's your birthday set. What you gon' do? Pop a couple. Just to pour it on you If you with it, I'm with it, with it. Gon' let me know Throw the money in the air Watch it fall like snow I know, I know How to work a pole Climb to the top Bring it down real slow Oh, damn Look who just called My homie Big Block Say we finna buy it all The Chris, the Goose The Patron Lime Juice When the DJ play this record Everybody get loose Go dumb, go dumb Shout it, what's up? Where you from? Where you from? Shout it, throw it up I know, I know, you see it. I know, I know, you see it. I'm like Bill, 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 I know you want something. She chewing on the juice like a piece of bubble yum. I know, you see it. I know, you see it. I'm like any, 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 mine, mine, mo. How many players in the club won't go? Track girls that used to turn they back, causing me to yank they arm and pose like I would do them all. Now I'm saying thank you because they tell me my the bomb explosive. For my drinking, smoking, always fat, more than one. Programs right now, chronic in your system, let me know. My the bomb. Real dogs still kicking with me. All my down, still tricking with me. All the true gangsters know. Nate ain't never loved, no. Still shake it for me. All my true fans still check it for me. All the real smokers know they ain't passing nothing but real trees. Please, no seeds. When I met you last night. Now that I'm sober, you ain't that fine. Mm -hmm. 
Happy Tuesday. Good morning. Forgive me if my voice sounds a little raspy. Not enough sleep. But I gotta say good morning to everyone all around the world. Logged on and listening on QMZRadio.com and JanoRadio.com. And everyone here with me on Clubhouse where the conversation happens. I'm Moments with me and you're tuned in and listening to Coffee Into World News on the Go. We do this every Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. Eastern. This is where I read the news and we share our views. You can find me on TikTok, Moments With Me Media, and on Instagram, Moments underscore with underscore me underscore media. And the mean everything is MI. Coming up later on this evening, 7 p.m. Eastern, it is The Rose Solo Show, live on QMZRadio.com, JanoRadio.com, and ViscosityBlend.com. Set your alarms and tune in. And here's what we have coming up for you today. out of the Caribbean corner, CARICOM leaders nowhere closer to solving regional transportation issues. Barbados to benefit from new Air Antilles deal. Direct flights from Cayman to Panama on sale now. Probe launched into allegations of abuse at Guyanese school. SVG brushes off American Airlines incident in Guyana. Out of Jamaica, social media uses blast predatory women moving in on a male student. We're going to have those stories and more out of the Caribbean corner on the international scene. A collection of rare centuries-old jewelry returns to Cambodia. Brian the Beast fights his way to Kenyan gaming domination. And a new earthquake hits Turkey as teams are still responding to earlier catastrophic quake. Like slaves, Zimbabwe farm workers lash out at work conditions. And in India, crack down on child marriage tears families apart. In stories out of North America, an arrest has been made in the killing of the Catholic bishop in California. DeSantis makes a stop in New York and Philadelphia to promote tougher laws and crime. Frail people are left to die in prison as judges fail to act on a law to free them. An 85-year-old woman killed after incident with alligator in St. Lucie, Florida. In business and tech news, Super Nintendo World officially opens at Universal Studios Hollywood. United Airlines is allowing families to sit together with new seat policy. And Target brand chocolates recalled due to undeclared pine nuts. In health and science news, new research could help nurses and police 
detect bruises on people with dark skin. We're going to have this day in history. Believe it or not, stories an Alaska woman admits to killing her best friend after Catfisher promised her $9 million. Oh boy, four white women caught harassing a Mexican street vendor and that went viral in a TikTok video. And a foster parent and youth pastor arrested in Florida for human trafficking. In the Brew Entertainment News, just like we suspected, prosecutor drops the gun enhancement charge against Alec Baldwin in the Rust shooting case. And Rihanna's dad was shocked to learn of her pregnancy during her Super Bowl halftime performance, just like the rest of us. Well, we're going to be talking about those stories and more right after a little bit more music. And we, today's Turned Up Tuesday. We're playing today's hits, yesterday's favorites. And he'll find his way home. Home of the brave. My home is 
the cave And yo, I'm a slave to my home is the grave I'm a pull papers, it's all about the papers Chickens caught the papers and now they wanna rape us Stop, cop, shut them down, open up shop Happy Tuesday! It is Turned Up Tuesday right here in Coffee until we're playing yesterday's, well, today's hits and yesterday's favorites. And a little hip hop today. That's the vibe. You claim to be a player, but I your wife. We bust on bad boys for life. Plus, feeding a little gangster this morning. We keep on coming while we running for your juice, steady. Keep on busting at the boots. You know the rules. Little Caesar, go ask your homie how I leave you. Cut your young ass up. Leave you in pieces. Now be deceased. Little Kim, don't around with real cheese. Quick to snatch your ugly ass off the streets. So peace. I let them throw it on for life. Don't let the west side. I don't even know why I'm on this track. They ain't even on my level. I'ma let my little homies ride on you. Made ass bad boy. Feel. Get out the way, yo. Get out the way, yo. Biggie Smalls just got dropped. Little move past the mat. And let me hit him in his back. Frank Wright need to get spanked right for setting traps. Little accident murderers. And I ain't never heard of ya. Poisonous cats attack when I'm serving ya. Spank the shake your whole style when I gang. Guard your rank cause I'ma slam your ass in the paint. Puffy weaker in the block. I'm running and I smoke a junior mafia in front of you. The ready power, tucked in my guess under my Eddie Bauer. Your cloud petty sour, I'll put packages every hour. Hit them up. Grab your when you see Tupac. Call the cops when you see Tupac. Uh, who shot me, but your punks didn't finish. Now you're about to feel the wrath of a menace. We hit them up. People, how we do it, keep it real. It's penitentiary still. This ain't no freestyle battle. All you getting killed with your mouths open. Trying to come up off of me, you in the clouds open. Smoking dope, it's like a Sherman. Question, what would hip hop be like 
if Biggie and Tupac were still alive. Just wondering. It's Turned Up Tuesday right here in Coffee and Toe. Doing it in hip-hop style today. Taking you from the streets to the clubs. Girl, I don't need you, but you need me. Take it off, let it flop, shake it freely. And I don't tell stories, I let them tell themselves. And you ain't got a self, girl, it's tell itself. Like nothing else. Yeah, I'm a country boy, but that big city bottom fill me up with joy. Ain't life grand, live it up. Whatever happened to Bubba Sparks? I haven't heard anything out of him lately. Enthusiastically, whatever it is that you do, you do it admirably. And I ain't choose it, that thing chose me. It's all the yin and yang, all the way in this thing. Go! Before the bottom of the hour, you got three minutes to get there if you need to be there at that time. Forgive my voice for sounding a little raspy this morning. Just getting in, Bubba gon' make it spark with the yin yang twins. Sipping off a throne, blom blom blom. Shawty in a song, whoa whoa whoa. Get the jiggling, wiggling, keep that thing shaking like she frost, frost shivering. Be delivering all type of flashes, cashes, got these shaking out molasses. Gonna hop back over to the West Coast just a little bit before we get started. Game says he's looking for somebody to settle down with, single ladies. That's your call. Six inches on them white and ones. This red rum, ready here come. Compton, uh, Dre found me in the slums, selling that scum. One hand on my, I was selling. The master P was saying, uh, buck past the. It's G unit, girls just wanna have fun. Coke and rum, got green on the tongue. I'm banging with my hand up a dress like, uh, I make a cum. Purple haze in my lungs, whole gang in the front, kissing. I put Lamborghini doors on that Escalade Low pro solo, look like I'm riding on planes In one year, man, you know I'm so great I have 
have a straight chick in the telly going both ways. Touch me, tease me, kiss me, please me. I give it to you just how you like it, girl. You're now rocking with the best that thing on my hip, Teflon on my chest. They say I'm no good, cause I'm so hood. Rich folks do not want me around. Cause it might pop off, and when it pop off, somebody gonna get laid the f out. They call me new money, say I have no class. I'm from the bottom, I came up too fast. The hell if I care, I'm just here to get my cash. They bougie, I'm hood, they kiss my ass. This is how we do. We make a move and act the fool while we up in the club. This is how we do. Nobody do it like we do it so I'm here vibing out too much. Time for me to go ahead and get started. That was the game featuring 50 Cent. Remember, the game started out in G Unit. Touch me, tease me, kiss me, please me. I give it to you just how you like it, girl. You're now rocking with the best. All chrome on my hip, Teflon on my chest. Ah! 50, uh, Bentley, uh, MK, man, got a fresh out the slum. Automatic, uh, never one on one. With rat punk, your punk ass, stunt, you done. Homie, it's game time. You ready? Here come. Call Lloyd Banks and get this motherfucker crunk. It took two months, but 50 got it done. Signed with G Unit, had the hood like, huh? Try to front, I'll leave your ass slump. Thinking I'm a pump, get your homie's head lump. 50 got a uh, ready here come. Got a sick vent, better to get this. Tryna be my buck, better to drama. Set a sip on my better. My flow sounds better than average. On tracks, I'm a savage. I damage anybody tryna front on my quick G. You net, net, All right, let's go ahead and kick it off. We're starting off in the Caribbean corner. Having a little bit too much fun this morning. Trying to wake up. Our first story today out of the Caribbean corner. CARICOM leaders nowhere closer to solving regional transportation issues. Story courtesy of Nationwide Radio, JM.com. CARICOM leaders ended their 44th regular summit in the Bahamas on Friday. Nowhere closer to solving the woes being experienced by regional travelers following the collapse of the intra-regional airline, LIAT, in 2020. The Antigua-based Liat Limited began shutting down in July 2020 following increased debt and the impact of the coronavirus pandemic. The airline is owned by the governments of Antigua and Barbuda, Barbados, Dominica and St. Vincent and the Grenadines. A downsized version of the carrier has been operating a reduced schedule with a limited workforce since November 2020. The airline has scaled down its operations and is now servicing Anguilla, Antigua, Barbados, Dominica, Guyana, Grenada, Guadeloupe, Martinique, San Juan, Puerto Rico, St. Kitts, St. Lucia, and St. Margin. Dominican Prime Minister, um, or I should say Dominican, sounds weird, right? Dominica and Dominica. <laughs> Dominican Republic, but the Dominican um, Prime Minister, and it's not DR. All right. The Dominican Prime Minister Roosevelt Skerich told reporters the matter had been discussed during the summit and the leaders had received an updated report from the Caribbean Development Bank. 
Meanwhile, newly elected St. Kitts and Nevis Prime Minister Dr. Terence Drew said it is difficult for the Caribbean countries to extol the virtues of the CARICOM single market and economy, CSME, that facilitates the free movements of goods, services, persons, capital, and technology without addressing the proverbial elephant in the room, intra-regional support. Good morning, Donald. Good morning, everyone else in the room, by the way. Javette, Sinet, Rosolo, MK, James, Marlon, just hopping in, G. Lee. Donald, we have spoken several times about intra-regional transport. I'm telling you, it will come down to this eventually. Unless the Caribbean governments realize to fix transportation in the region, we have to go to make transportation a public good where each government put in their fair share and we come up with a mutual airline sea cargo initiative to focus on reaching the goals of getting people around and the free movement of people, services and so on as opposed to a commercial airline that is get to even operate at a break even. Until we change that paradigm, nothing will change. The Caribbean market is too small, you understand, for, for that so-called commercial airline to be viable. We had 50 years or how much years and multiple airlines, none survive. It's not coincidental. Okay, it, it can't be just bad management over these 50 years. So I'm saying we have to look at it as a public good. This is what it costs to run an efficient air service throughout the Caribbean. This is what we have to do to supplement the air service by putting in some cargo ships and stuff that go from island to island, moving people and, and goods. And this is what it will add to the economies on the back end. If we're looking at travel in the Caribbean merely as a commercial activity, of any company coming and set up and taking people from island to island, we will be at this same juncture 25 years from now. It wouldn't happen. We have to look at the collective of all the economies. We have to look at what will be derived from having efficient travel and movements of goods and services as opposed to the immediate profit to be derived from an airline. Thank you, Don. Let me ask you a question because I'm not sure, and I, I probably should have looked it up while you were talking as it was going through my mind. Did Liat ever go beyond the Caribbean? Oh, no, I don't think so. Okay. Maybe Puerto Rico? So, but well, Puerto Rico could be considered the Caribbean. Exactly. Yeah, so, so we're staying yeah. intra regional. Um, so the airline was owned by the governments of Antigua and Barbuda, Barbados, Dominica, and SVG. Did they consider um, probably having the entire EC have stake ownership or the entire Caribbean, both Latin-speaking countries and English-speaking countries and the French-speaking countries, everybody, um, having some stake ownership and probably doing that would um, fuel more ideas i don't know i'm subject to correction but i think at some point in time 
other governments may have buy in and out of it. So I don't think these are or the just the original or fixed amount of ownership. I think that is okay. Let me. This who is left now? But I don't think it was always like that. Okay. But, but later, a part of the Eastern Caribbean block, right? Um, the difference between the Eastern Caribbean block and the rest of CARICOM is that they share one currency. So financially, they are a unit. So they have the same dollar, with exception of Barbados, St. Vincent, Grenada, all these countries had the same, they have a financial block. Um, the same dollar and they pool a lot of resources which is why they would have allowed to have an airline in that regard because they do have like 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 you have the european union and there's a currency for the european union the same thing existed in the eastern caribbean yeah but um Elliot has been around for a long time but they seem to be not the the airline doesn't seem to be a profitable business is it because of the structure um you you said um donald that it you don't think it could be bad management but what if it is for all these years lack of vision not wanting to hop off the hamster's wheel not wanting to try new things i see Liet as an old house that was poorly built, that we're trying to renovate over the years. Push it down, salvage what you can salvage, and build a new house. That's it. Because if you're trying to fix the same old things for 50 years, at some point in time, we have to say, this model has not worked. Uh-huh. We, we totally get it wrong somewhere. Let's start from scratch. A new model. Right. Um, can I just... Go ahead, O'Neill. You're chipping in and out. Sorry about that. Someone's trying to call me. Yeah, so I've, I've lived in the Caribbean for a couple of years when I was younger. Um, I've traveled on Layard. And the truth is, the first time I traveled on Layard, I vowed never to travel on it again. And I didn't. Um, what was the reason? What was the reason? Broken planes. Listen, every time you go on a Layard plane, you you wonder if you're going to make it home. <laughs> Say your prayers. <laughs> okay, yes. Um, there was another airline that came about called Carib, Carib something, a Carib Air. They had newer jets. And this is, I don't age myself, but I'm old. Anyway. You're <laughs> so not back, old. This is back in the 90s. Um, I used to fly, I traveled on Caribbean. I started to jet between the islands. I was based in Barbados, I used to fly to St. Vincent, Grenada, fly to St. Vincent on the weekend, etc. Um, I think the issue with Liat, like other government institutions in Jamaica and the Caribbean, is lack of accountability, which, which, which goes back to bad management, um, lack of vision, um, not, not making prudent planning and decision, forecasting, um, lack of growth as a result of change of governments and sabotage. So um, while I agree with having public transportation in the Caribbean that would alleviate integration between different islands, the issue is that it has to be a, a, almost independent 
um, sub-autonomous organization that is not um, controlled by the change of moving, change of the wind of governments in the Caribbean. Um, it would have to be an institution that is structured to operate like a, like a, a cost center commercial business, but not for profit, right? But operate like a for so like we have a nonprofit organization that's still accountable, but it's not for profit, um, and it, we're necessary because nonprofit doesn't mean that you don't make money. Right. It means that your 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 mantra is not going out there to make money at all cost, right? Um, I, I think that's the problem because Liat is not the only white. is not the only white elephant of the Caribbean. Um, what name? The, the the media company, Caribbean Media Corporation, suffered the same fate, right? And there are other regional institutions that have suffered the same fate. That Liat, um, I don't, I don't know that Liat is still around. Is it still around? By the way, I should ask that question. I don't know if it's still around. It's still around. Um, yeah. They have right now. They downscaled their operations, but they're still. Um, offering service between Anguilla, Antigua, Barbados, Dominica, Grenada, um, Guyana, Guadeloupe, Martinique, uh, Puerto Rico, St. Kitts, St. Lucia, and St. Martin. Yeah, I mean, listen, as I said this, um, I, I share Donald's view of um, a different approach to the airline or other businesses in the region. Um, I do share the vision of um, ease of movement between because trust me it's more expensive to fly to Trinidad than to fly to New York <laughs> the ticket price from where to where if you're going to fly from Jamaica to Trinidad mm. the, the, the price the round trip price is maybe going to be more than it costs you to fly to the United States alright Caribbean Airways whatever or airline whatever there is the cost for traveling the Caribbean is prohibitive it's very high so that's why even inter-tourism, which would be a big product for the different countries, is not happening, right? I can tell you that vacationing in Barbados can be just as fabulous as vacation in Mexico. Or vacation, you understand? Black sands in, 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 in St. Vincent. Nice white beaches in Barbados. Jamaica. So that integration would have benefited CARICOM and benefited countries if we had staycations in the region. But transportation is a huge issue. We should have, we should have even have a cruise ship <laughs> moving between the islands. People can jump on a cruise and cruise to Barbados and cruise to Trinidad and cruise to St. Vincent and cruise back to Jamaica and cruise to the Bahamas. So we, are, we have a product that is that has international um, acclaim, but the people within the Caribbean has not been able to enjoy it because it's a prohibitive. There is a sense to the nonsense, but I think the moving waves of government, change of government, egos between the different countries is the reason why we're having, we're having such failure. I yield. All right, thank you, Neil. So let me let me position this question. Let me put, pose this question. If we are presented with the opportunity to put together a plan to salvage 
Liat Airlines, resuscitate it, bring it back to life, and make it profitable, what would be some necessities that we would have to put on the to-do list to ensure that this happens? Now we got to put on our entrepreneurship caps and think, what are some definites that have to be included? At least five that we feel should help to turn the ship around. I'm going to position pose one. I, I think it needs to be removed from the hands of government because as, um, as you pointed out, O'Neill, sabotage can happen depending on which political party is in power in the varying islands. Are they able to separate politics from business and think strictly business and how it will benefit the island, the islands as a whole? So that, that's my recommendation for one. Donald, I'm going to say that you are, if, if I can speak for you, and you may want to change it, of course, feel free. But I know that you have um, spoken emphatically about the need to integrate services, meaning cargo with um, commercial and uh, passenger. Am I right? Or do you have another solution? that could be added to the list. Are y'all hearing me? Okay, go ahead, Donald. <laughs> Donald, are you there? I know you just opened yes. the mic. Okay. Um, I do agree. Um, I think cargo has to be a part of it because when you look at a country like Dominica, um, just based on the population, they wouldn't have that much traffic, people-wise. But if you have a cargo um, part of it, they have a lot, because they're agricultural base. Same for the entire Windward Island. And um, what they produce can be utilized in other, in other areas and other countries of the Caribbean. For instance, Barbados. Barbados could use some of these products. And we could actually share these products around the Caribbean so we don't have to input a lot of the GMO stuff from um, the States and so on. Uh, um, making the point what um, Neil made also, it has to be an institution that can operate independently with a, with, a, with a mandate. So they have a mandate, so you have that mandate to follow. It has to be thoroughly defined as to what we're trying to do and what you're trying to accomplish, and it has to be extremely clear from the beginning. This is the mandate of this regional air travel, sea travel, this regional entity this is what it is done it is meant to do this is the amount of funding that it will take to do it efficiently um this would be the contribution of all parties and this is how we will go go about because if it's not properly defined in the beginning and st stick to it we have as neil said the changing of governments and stuff impacting that and we we cannot have that so these are some of the stuff I think that has to be done. We also have to make it that travel in the destinations that are more popular would have to somehow subsidize the unpopular destinations. Because there are some destinations in the Caribbean you would never get the numbers for it to feasibly be possible to operate there efficiently.
Okay. All right. Thank you, Donald. Um, anybody else? Dre in the chat, you put not enough people, a waste of investment. Caribbean travel is inter-Caribbean travel travel, sorry, inter even profitable. So I think um Donald just answered that question and how it can be made um profitable. You also said, Dre, if we don't do if we do it, don't look for profit, just do it off pride. Um, I was here scouring to see if Leah travels beyond the Caribbean, and I'm not seeing anything yet. Um, that's possibly something they could look into. Anybody else? So we have three so far. Anybody else has another suggestion? Yeah, morning, everyone. Good morning, James. Yeah, I, I think a combination of, of air and sea would be like a good idea because there are a lot of islands um, that are... Um, easier accessible by um, like ferry so if you have one company one company that does boat that's structured in such a way where like if you're traveling say from like Jamaica to Trinidad you, you use um, airline from Barbados to Bahamas like ferry because um, when you look at the, the location like it's it's easier accessible by by boat for like a lot of like especially the Eastern Caribbean, and you know we 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 have the the Caribbean Ocean like, and, and we're not really utilizing it the way that we should. So I believe that if it's structured in a way like a company coming in that like has nothing to do with government, but say for example like it's a a travel company that governments can make a deal with that. Like look, we will um we will put certain amount of money into it um into like securing your company to come and and take over the, the the caribbean or if it's like some you know caribbean person who have uh, millions of dollars and expertise in 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 like you know boat and 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 aircraft then they could run the company the same way um they're like private um like bus companies in 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 certain north american countries that are privately owned, but you know, government um, give them money um, to to subsidize them. You know, I think something like that would work because, yeah, as I said, like a lot of islands are more accessible by by you know ferry, and in t in terms of cargo, like that's that's like the best way to to do cargo like across the Caribbean. So I think something like that could could work. All right, so you are agreeing with me, and you're agreeing with Donald. Okay, perfect. All right. Just one question, one point here. Mm -hmm. um, James, I sort of disagree with bringing in some a company to run it, even if there are efficiencies to be derived from that. I think that institution has to be something like the University of the West Indies, Caribbean Development Bank, ECDCB. It has to be an institution that though it operate independently, it operates in conjunction with the governments. Because what you find happening, if you bring in a company, as much as they might be a little more efficient and do it a little better, you have the option of that company just packing up shop and leaving. Mm. And there is nothing you can really do to stop that. So they could operate and they could say, I had enough and I'm done. And then you left scrambling with the bag in your hand. So I think it has to be 
a reasonable institution that has to be set up. Another thing again too, the cost to do stuff like feasibility studies and environmental impact for uh, actually like a ferry system is prohibitive. So if that cost has to be uh, undertaken by one group of people or one country or two countries, it most likely wouldn't happen. So if you have the whole region coming together to do a feasibility and environmental impact studies that is funded by every, everybody, and then the decisions made out of that would shape the direction as to how we do that, that cargo in between um, countries, then it could make it easily, easily attainable or easier to attain the goal that we're looking to get. And there must be, an, um, as you say, a merger between sea and air to make it feasible. All right. Okay, thank you all so much. Love the conversation. Hopefully someone is listening that is able or persons are listening that are able to um, pass on the suggestions for what they're worth. All right. Okay, moving on. Barbados to benefit from new Air Antilles deal. Story courtesy of Caribbean.loopnews.com. Air Antilles will, from April 1, begin a daily schedule between Barbados and Dominica, St. Lucia, Martinique, and Guadeloupe, with tourism officials here saying the initiative will significantly boost interregional travel. Interregional travel is very important to us at the Barbados Tourism Marketing, Inc., BTMI, and as part of our post-COVID recovery strategy, it is time to look at the best way to increase activity between Barbados and the Caribbean. And that's according to Shelley Williams, who is BTMI chairman. Currently, Air Antilles offers a service to Barbados of three to four flights weekly. And with a 133% increase in seats, we anticipate incremental economic earnings of $9 million annually, she said. Tourism officials say Air Antilles airline seats will increase from 15,000 to 35,000 annually, and the estimated economic impact is derived from increased visitors, daily spend, and travel fees. They said the partnership will also allow for extended airlift directly to the French Caribbean through Corsair Airline, making connections to Barbados. This growth in capacity will be supplemented by a high-profile marketing campaign by Air Antilles as well as in-market marketing and promotional activities from the BTMI to keep Barbados top of mind and ensure that we fill these additional seats. That's according to Williams, noting that in addition to increased capacity, the expansion of Air Antilles' service will boost Barbados's connections into non-traditional visitor source markets as far as Europe. We are especially pleased to deepen relations with the French Caribbean and this revamped service fits into our overall airlift strategy of increasing connectivity to position Grantley Adams International Airport as a true hub of the Caribbean. The Pointe-Pitre and Forte de France routes connect us directly with France through Corsair. France is a key market for us as we expand and diversify the places where we do business. We, think Air, we thank Air Antilles for their continued confidence in the destination and look forward to working closely with them. Air Antilles' founder and owner, Eric Curie, said he is looking forward to doing more business with Barbados. 
Barbados continues to perform well for us as a destination and has been a strong partner over the past six years. As we grow and expand our footprint throughout the Caribbean, we are eager to increase business with Barbados and look forward to making this venture a success. Last week, Caribbean community leaders ended their 44th regular summit in the Bahamas. And of course, we just spoke about that article er earlier, well, right ago right before this one nowhere closer to solving the woes being experienced by regional travelers following the collapse of the intra-regional airline layer so <laughs> um how is it that air antilles has been able to perform they said it Notice they're only doing a few flights a week. And also notice that they're only traveling between set destinations. There are profitable routes in the Caribbean, but not every route is profitable. And if you realize, I suspect there are some subsidies going on somewhere because they keep highlighting the economic impact that will be made. So if we have to look at regional airline as a feasible case, we have to focus on economic impact and not on profitability. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. So um, let's see. Well, they have partnered, quote unquote, with um, Corsair because they noticed that the European market, the, well, to be specific, the French market the, out of France is a good business to you know pursue so Liat probably needs to look into that because you know air antilles might take over <laughs> from Liat and be successful but um i see here private ownership which is what you're not supporting um donna based on what you said earlier. That's what I'm gathering. Let me know if I'm right or wrong. I don't say I don't support private ownership. But okay. when you talk private ownership, there will be destinations that will be disadvantaged because it's not economically feasible to operate in those destinations. And then you're at the mercy of the owner when they decide this business is either I had enough, it's not profitable enough, or I'm changing my strategy. So I'm, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm finished. So then we were left back to square one with no original airline because the private owner operating in the region decided for whatever reason to terminate operations. Right. Okay. So that's my only thing. I'm not against private ownership. I'm just saying for the longevity and for strategic planning at a governmental level and other levels, we have to have something that is stable in the foreseeable future. Okay, fair enough. All right. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Next up, we head on over to the Cayman Islands. Direct flights from Cayman and Panama are now on sale, courtesy of caymanloopnews.com. Cayman Airways said that round-trip airfares for non-stop flights between Grand Cayman and Panama starting June 26 are now on sale. Concerning the frequency of flights, Cayman Airlines said this will be as follows. Um, Mondays and Thursdays from Grand Cayman departing at 11.30 a.m. 
and arriving in Panama at 1.15 p.m. Thursdays, I'm sorry, Mondays and Thursdays from Panama, departing at 2.45 p.m. and arriving on Grand Cayman at 4.35 p.m. Regarding prices, Cayman Airways um, offers economy class tickets from just CI 295.91 or US 352.28 round trip, including taxes and fees for travel from, Ga- from Grand Cayman to Panama subject to normal ticket conditions. All-inclusive business class services also aboard every flight with three free checked bags up to 55 pounds per bag. Prices for business class will be different from economy prices. Those who wish to take advantage of the promotional prices for the relaunched Panama route must purchase their tickets within one day of booking or by March 4, 2023, the booking deadline. So go ahead and contact um, Panama. What is it? Cayman Airways. Sorry, not Panama Airways. (laughs) All right, next up, a probe launched into allegations of abuse at a Guyanese school. Story courtesy of Caribbean.loopnews.com. Guyana law enforcement and education authorities have launched an investigation into alleged verbal and physical abuse of students, as well as the alleged use of criminal racist language against the students at a secondary school. We have been advised that the Ministry of Education through the Regional Education Department and the Ghana Police Force are working together to thoroughly investigate these reports, according to a government statement. It's said that a joint investigative team has been launched to look into these allegations and to determine the facts surrounding this situation. The statement also went on to say that findings will be made public as soon as they are available, adding that parents, students, and the general public are being assured that the ministry is committed to ensuring the safety and well-being of all students. The ministry will continue to monitor the situation closely and provide updates as necessary. And they are advising that be assured that appropriate actions will be taken in accordance with the law. While it did not say when the allegations were made, the statement said that every action will be taken to keep the students attending the school safe and anyone who attempts to interfere with that will be dealt with accordingly. For our next story, it's over to SVG. Courtesy of Caribbean.loopnews.com, SVG brushes off American Airlines incident in Guyana. Prime Minister Dr. Ralph Gonsalves said he did not take any offense when American Airlines representatives requested that he and Prime Minister Dr. Keith Rowley present themselves before gate agents to complete their check-in on a recent flight to Miami from Guyana. In an interview on Issue at Hand Live on WEFM 99.9 FM, Gonzalez said he is not someone who is easily offended and disrespected, but he noted it was the first time he experienced such a request when traveling in his official capacity. Gonzalez said he and Rowley were told by protocol officers that AA reps needed visual confirmation that the travel documents presented at the gates at the gate rather were theirs. He said nobody forced him to do anything. The chief of protocol came and said that the people who are doing the check-in at AA requested that we come there so they could identify the face to the passport. And that's what I understood. 
Remember that clip? Did I ever play that clip? Um, Gonzalez, he's a real bad man, you know. <laughs> like all politicians, when they're in parliament, everybody's a bad man. All right. Anyway, nine-year-old boy reported missing last seen at church in Kingston, and this story's out of Jamaica. A high alert has been activated for nine-year-old Sheldon Myers, otherwise called Tate, of Building 14, Bustamante Highway in Kingston 14, who has been missing since Sunday, February 19. He is of dark complexion and slim build. Reports from the Denham Town Police are that at about 5.30 p.m., Sheldon was last seen at a church in the area. When last seen, he was dressed in a red and white shirt, blue jeans, and a pair of red sneakers. He has not been heard from since. Anyone knowing the whereabouts of Sheldon Mars is asked to contact the Denham Town Police or call 119. I hope they find him. I really hope they do. Social media users blast predatory woman moving in on male student, courtesy of jamaica.loopnews.com. Outrage is growing across social media as many persons are labeling as predatory the actions of some women who are sending sexual gestures to a popular male high school student on popular video sharing app TikTok. The boy who first emerged on several TikTok videos has been garnering the attention of females. It is not clear how old he is, but checks showed that he attends a high school in southern Jamaica. While some persons have said the gestures are merely to poke fun, others say such acts and comments are predatory coming from adult women. Individuals have also highlighted that if it was an adult male making such gestures and comments to a minor, the condemnation would have been greater. This, they claim, highlights a double standard and hypocrisy and the overall development has opened a discussion on the perceived lack of condemnation for female sexual abusers. One of the videos drawing harsh criticism from viewers is that of a woman seen making a sexual gesture with her fingers, while others have offered to take the high schooler out on dates and disclosing that they live alone. One video in particular that has generated much discussion has a woman, after stitching the video of the high schooler, flashing her bank cards in response. Come here, little boy, take off your school uniform and come here, come right yourself, the woman stated. She has since made a new video acknowledging that persons have been critical of her comments and labeling her as a pedophile. The new video has sparked even more outrage. As the woman is asking the boy whether he eats certain children's snacks because me can call you out a track you with the bankyards and them something there. She added, I have milk in the fridge, I have frosties, cornflakes, tell me where you eat, baby where you eat. A female social media user has called out the woman on her first video while addressing other women making similar remarks. So I am just wondering, if a grown man had stitched a video to a teenage girl's video and said, you look a girl, take off your school uniform and come here, would you guys still find it funny? Do we only know how to identify predator behaviors in men and not the opposite sex? Or is it that when we say to not sexualize children, we only meant the female ones and not all children, she quizzed further.
the social media user said all children should not be sexualized and the male high schooler in focus is a child can't believe jamaica's be- what jamaica is becoming grown woman lusting after a school boy who probably preparing for him exams it's beyond disturbing said a man another man said the double standard is real another our toxic culture has normalized abuse when it's an adult female on underage boys but it's wrong if it's, if it's a man going after an underage girl it's our twisted way of baptizing our boys into manhood then we have the grown men who sexually prey on our boys not all were sharing in the overall condemnation being echoed a female instagram user said Someone chat too much, it's all for fun, let the boy be an engine teens. To that comment, a woman shared, It's embarrassing to see people defend grown women doing such things, even the very women who have sons themselves. When I read this this morning, I was like, I can't, there's no way for me to um leave out anything i i wanted to read the entire article because do we agree that there is a double standard men how do you feel i would love to hear from you how do you men feel do you think there's a double standard when women prey on teenage boys, it's okay, it's funny. But if a man preys on a teenage girl, he's labeled as a pedophile, a predator. Nasty, you know how we are in Jamaica. We come up with every term. I will say this, the culture is toxic to some degree and let's think back for those of us who grew up in jamaica went to school in jamaica and you always see these little school girls hitch up under the bus driver arm and the bus driver said no one no but in my front seat and this is a girl a little girl our schoolers as they refer to them and the girls are put to sit in the front seat of these buses and their legs are opened so that the gear stick can go between their legs. Bus drivers would give these girls lunch money and a guaranteed seat. That's been going on forever. Have they cut that out? Has that stopped? Have they put a stop to that? Have they cracked down on that? And then you would have some mothers, if their daughters are dating a schoolers, a boy who is in school, you know, no ambition, away I go, when can do feel? What can he do for you? So then they're encouraged to go find a big man. It's a part of the toxic culture. Some are encouraged to get pregnant for the big man. No one said the big man probably have a wife sitting on him yard too. And that has been condoned. 
young schoolboys make passes at grown women and everybody think it's cute. And then his friends around him, yeah man, see if you can get that. Yeah man, make a big woman. Deal with your case, deal with your thing. Part of a toxic culture. What steps have we taken to stop it, to put a stop to it? You see, we have to go to the root of the problem. This is nothing new. Social media makes it look as though it's something new for the person to say, what is our country coming to? I cannot believe what Jamaica is becoming. Jamaica has been that for a long time. We just, <laughs> it's just more in our faces. No, it's been beyond disturbing for a long time. How are we going to fix that? What do we propose? What do we propose? How do you go to a woman in the ghettos who push our picnic on a man because the man come and say, no want the mother the dark time want and the mother sit down and say, boy, the school fee have to pay. But if you can buy a KFC on a Friday, I need to buy a school uniform, I need to get me here, do so I can go dance and see if I can find another man. What do we do? How do we fix that? It's been going on forever. If you're not sure, just go ahead and watch the movie Dance All Queen. There's a scene that speaks to that in it. The big man come from uptown. Him no one, the, 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 the big woman. A little girl, them one. And mothers give them their little girls. Now it's little girls and little boys being given. Many high school boys. I get them lunch money. We all have a role to play. Those who are preying on these children need to stop. And children have to be taught how to say no. Do not indulge in it. No matter how you think in it, do not indulge. And adults need for no say. You cannot get up and say, well, a them a lead me on, you know. A them a come to me, you know. Run them. Run them. If you are the adult, I'm going to put the onus on you. I have no choice. Because you ought to know better. Right? Or am I wrong? So I'm going to put the responsibility on you to run these children. Don't condone. Okay, the child put up a, a video on TikTok. You don't have to comment under it. You don't have to comment under it. If you like the video, like it and keep it moving. But to be sent to the school boy, <laughs> you know, <sighs> to come, come here and take off your uniform and all of that. Really? 
Really? So we need, we have work to do. There's a lot in our culture that's wrong. A lot in our culture that is ignored, swept under the rug, and it's toxic. We need to clean up. And starts at home how we are going to train our children and train ourselves. In our next story, Herbert Morrison Technical Students Cop Regional Cape Awards. Story courtesy of Jamaica.loopnews.com. Two students of Herbert Morrison Technical High School in St. James have copped top awards for outstanding performances in the Caribbean Advanced Proficiency Examination CAPE external tests, which they sat last year. They are Antoine Campbell, who was awarded for the most outstanding performance in building and mechanical engineering drawing, and Jamoy Jarrett, who got the corresponding award for industrial technology. Both received their awards during a virtual presentation ceremony hosted by the CXC Caribbean Examination Council and the Ministry of Education, Youth, Sports and Social Services of the Turks and Caicos Islands on February 9. In an interview with JIS News, 19-year-old Antoine underscored how important being disciplined in his studies has been to his academic success. The grade 13 student who doubles as a part-time teacher at his school said the journey to the award was rewarding. The award really meant a lot, but I value the experience and knowledge that I garnered over the time that I studied and worked extremely hard. The experience was not necessarily smooth sailing, but I learned to overcome and to adapt to whatever challenges were in front of me, he stated. Antoine noted that while doing building and mechanical engineering drawing, he grew to enjoy learning it and discovered the connections with different subject areas, which he anticipates will aid in his quest to become a mechanical engineer. Young Antoine is no stranger to academic achievements as he passed eight Caribbean secondary uh, education certificate subjects, all with grade ones. English language, math, Information Technology, Industrial Technology Mechanical, Industrial Technology Electrical, Physics, Chemistry, and Technical Drawing. He also did four CAPE Unit 1 exams and passed those with grade ones. Good for you, young man. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Let me give you a round of applause, young man. All right. NWC is issuing a, an advisory. 12-hour restrictions across the corporate area begins today. The National Water Commission, NWC, is set to begin 12-hour water restrictions across several sections of the corporate area beginning this morning. The restrictions come amid worsening drought conditions affecting the island. The commission says the current water level at the Hermitage Dam is 63.5%, while the reservoir at Mona has fallen to 76%. The NWC says given the worsening conditions, it has been forced to implement lock-offs to preserve continued access to water in the parishes of Kingston and St. Andrew. The lock-offs will run for 12-hour intervals from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., 6 p.m. to 6 a.m., and 6 a.m. to 9 p.m., 
The communities to be affected beginning at 6 this morning are Eastwood Park Gardens, Malines Road, Hagley Park Road, and roads leading off Dunrobin Avenue, Morton Park, St. Andrew Park, sections of Malines Road between Halfway Tree and Washington Boulevard, Waltham Park Road, Halfway Tree, Halfway Tree Road, and roads leading off Kencott and Crossroads area. Beginning at 6 p.m. this evening to 6 a.m. tomorrow morning, the following communities will be affected. So I hope my listeners in Jamaica, if you're in Kingston, listen up and make your plans accordingly. So 6 p.m. this evening to 6 a.m. tomorrow morning, sections of Constant Spring Road and roads leading off, including Constant Spring Gardens, Don Robin Avenue, Old Church Road, Annette Crescent, and sections of Waterloo, Red Hills Road, and roads leading off Mannings Hill Road, and roads leading off Whitehall, Roehampton, Honeyhill, Campbell Boulevard, Valentine Gardens, Arlene Gardens, sections off Malines Road, Perkins Boulevard, Havendale, Meadowbrook, Queensboro, Queensbury, sections of Patrick City and Environs, and sections of Duhaney Park and Pembroke Hall. Okay? I warned you. I told you. Also, from 6 p.m. to 9 p.m., Hope Pastures, Mona, Ligony, sections of Barbican, Kintyre, Gordontown, Mona Heights, Goldsmith, and Augustown. The NWC says trucking arrangements will be implemented to serve customers who cannot be served via the piped network. The commission is imploring customers to do their part to reduce the impact of the drought by using conservation methods. Everybody in the corporate area should have a tank by now if you ask me. You know those big um, rhino tanks, they're black. Everybody should have one by now in the corporate area. Um, if you have a bathtub, fill that up. Whatever you have, fill it up. If you have some big pots in your kitchen, fill them up so that when you get home you can um, cook if you have water bottles recycle them fill them up keep them on your bathroom counters so that you're able to brush your teeth wash your face make sure you have a bath pan now this is bringing back um boarding school memories you have a bath pan make sure you fill that up so you can you know tidy or whatever in the morning in case you can't take a shower but you know you got you, you got to improvise um and then Whatever water you use, don't throw it out the door or pour it down the drain. You use that to flush your toilets, right? Figure it out, folks. Figure it out. Okay. Um, Rihanna, Rihanna's dad uh, was shocked to learn of her pregnancy during her Super Bowl halftime performance, just like the rest of us. Story courtesy of BallerAlert.com. Rihanna's father was surprised, as everyone else, when he saw a pregnant Riri performing during the Super Bowl halftime show. Ronald Fenty told TMZ that Rihanna got him tickets to the game, but did not reveal that she was expecting baby number two. Oh my God, my baby girl looks pregnant, he said to his fiancée when he saw the baby bump. He also said he's super happy for Rihanna and ASAP Rocky, but he's hoping for a girl this time. As a granddad to four grandsons, he hoped the couple would have a daughter the first time around. 
Ronald told the outlet that he had not spent time with Riri and ASAP's son, citing her busy schedule and him living in Barbados. But he says he would love the opportunity to be a part of the new baby's life. Which leads me to ask the question, should she have told him prior? Seeing that it's her dad. Should Rihanna have told her dad that she's expecting versus letting him find out with the rest of the world on super at the Super Bowl? What are your thoughts? It, it depends because they don't. From what I know in the media, they had a bad relationship. They had a falling out one at one point. Okay. So it depends on where the relationship stands. Maybe you know. She's not as close with him. I remember he had stole her, her um he had took her name to do some kind of to promote some kind of business or something like that. Oh really? I didn't know about that. Yeah. A lot of stuff going on. So maybe, yeah, maybe that have to do with you know why also you know, there's no connection with the child and the grandfather. Okay. Alright. Yeah. Fair enough. So the, go ahead, go right ahead. I know someone else opened their mic. Thank you, Kay. Yeah, but but in fairness, it's it's his name though. What is his he name? Was, no, he was using the Fenty name to to do some some business, but that's his name, right? It is his name. You're right. But yeah. what, could it be that he was using her name, saying, "Oh, Rihanna, I'm Rihanna's dad." No, I think he was just using, he was doing some company, the Fenty something, another company. So I, I don't know the, you know, the whole story behind it, but I remember he was launching some company. Um, and I think they had a problem with it because it was conflicting with her, her um, thing. But yeah, I think that, that's, that's where the, you know, the turmoil started. Hmm. <clears throat> Gotta be careful. Some people um, like to drop names. Some people like to use people's names or, you, you know, people who they're closest to. Um, it is best, it is always best to have a conversation with the person, whether it's your child or not, whether it's your best friend or not, no matter who the person is, have a conversation with them. And get their permission. And if they say no, you have to respect that. You have to respect that. They're entitled to say no. Because that can damage relationships. I never got the impression that she was close to him anyway. You, you always hear about her and her mom. What was the situation with her mom and her dad? Or am I thinking about um, Nicki Minaj? Hold on. I don't want to mix up the two. Yeah, I, didn't, I don't really know nothing about them. I think it's Nicki Minaj you're thinking about. Okay. But, but are, I don't, are her parents together? Are um, Rihanna's parents together? I don't think so, you know. Hmm. No, okay, he just said he's that again. Yeah, yeah. Oh, right. He's his girlfriend. Yeah, fiance. Yeah, you're right. She looks like her dad, you know. She looks like. But her. I feel like in the beginning, when she first came out, we see a lot. We saw a lot of her mom and dad, 
and then she got and then after a while you didn't see them no more together hmm. i'm here looking up who is rihanna's dad born in barbados 1954 she has publicly spoken about her parents at different times during her career uh, Robert Fenty, he's well known for being the father of pop star Rihanna. He's the father of Samantha Fenty, Rory Fenty, Candy Fenty, Jamie Fenty. He was previously married to Monica Brathwaite. So they were married at one point, but got divorced in 2002. Um, he's on good terms with her. Um, mm -hmm, so I don't know. know what the issue is what really happened okay rich people problems we have me one all right that story wraps up um our stories of the caribbean corner gonna take another quick music break on turned up tuesday when we return we have stories from the international scene keep it locked bring me some more go pick up ten thousand from dez go take about like 20 g's from dino Get the next door up out of here. Be showing all night. I can't sleep. And call that big butt nurse with the long hair to come. The doctor said I need about three weeks of recovery. But the nurses is loving me, saying the best part of the day is my half. Feeding me breakfast and giving me a sponge bath. Say I died dead in the streets. I'm getting high, getting on the beach, chilling, sitting on about half a million with all my. All my, all my women The next two years I should see about a billion All for the love of drug dealers uh, Got no love for the other side Them trick. Any repercussions Junior Mafia spit clip All the time Big Papa kick the war around uh, Raw flows And that's how it goes Hammering and kings, uh -huh. truck necklace, igloo, ringing things for the bitch. You see them rims spinning grin, that with the be trimmed and wings. Heavy and large, silver, spurs, serrat. On the road to the riches, more furs to drag. More to kill, then birds to bag. Hit the jeweler and splurge the tab. Uh, hops out the truck like trick. What up? Call me Sean if you call me gone when I knock out the end of us. Get your friend to f uh, twist and bend her up. You know the deal. Talking real busy on some ball and shit. Right. Funny how quick these forget Come on. Acting like I ain't the reason they traded they uh, Switch that five, top that six that's right. It's all good, you know who the crone is the Jones is, trying to keep up with the cone Come on, we are, we are What's his name? Glass filled to the rim, the notorious K.I. to the end. That's the end. No Gotta say a big thank you to everyone listening online. QMZRadio.com, the quality music zone, 
For quality music while you work or play, keep it logged on to www.qmzradio.com for that good music to get you through your day. A big thank you to everyone listening on johnnoradio.com. Download the John No Radio app for that nonstop party vibe. J-A-H-K-N-O. It is available in your Apple and Google Play stores. John No Radio, take us on the go. Thank you so much to my clubhouse family. Thank you for rocking with me every day. Your voice matters. And thank you for sharing it. This is Moments with me. You're tuned in to Coffee and Toe World News on the go. We do this every Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. Eastern, where I read the news and we share our views. Keep it locked. Coming up later on this evening, 7 p.m. Eastern, The Rose Solo Show will be live on QMZRadio.com, JanoRadio.com, and ViscosityBlend.com. Tune in. Talk on love. love my ass and my ass in the video from promiscuous about how I can, you know, do a new hustle, every day I'm hustling, right? Every day, every single day. So right now, (laughs) I've been talking about OnlyFans and joking around. So I pulled up OnlyFans website, folks. 
um, and I'm looking at it. It's not only what we think it is. That's not the only thing OnlyFans is about. You can showcase any talent that you have on OnlyFans. All right? So look out for my OnlyFans channel. Every day I'm hustling. Every day I'm hustling. Every day I'm hustling. Every day I'm hustling. Every day I'm every day I'm every day I'm hustling. Who you suckers think you're tripping with? Yes, I'm the boss. Seven forty-five, white on white. That's Rick Ross. I cut 'em wide, I cut 'em long, I cut 'em fat. I keep 'em coming back. We keep 'em coming back. I'm in the distribution. I'm like Atlantic. I got them pretty things flying across the Atlantic. I know Pablo, Pablo, Noriega, the real Noriega. He owe me a hundred favors. I ain't petty player. We buy the whole thing. See most of my homies hustle. They still do their thing. My roof back, roof back. My money ride. I'm on the pedal. Show you what I'm running like. When they snatch black, I cry for a hundred nights. He got a hundred bodies serving a hundred lights. Every day I'm hustling. 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 Every day I'm. Every day I'm. We never steal cars, but we deal hard. Whip it real hard. Whip it, whip it real hard. I call the charge. I call the charge. Whip it real hard. Whip it, whip it real hard. Ain't 'bout no funny stuff. Still flipping them chickens. I'm on my money stuff. Still whipping them Benzes. Major league. Who catching? Because I'm pitching. Jose Canseco just snitching because he finish. I feed them steroids to strengthen up all my chickens. They flying over Pacifics to be specific. Triple C's, you know it's fact. We holdin' sex, so they can go on rap. Run and tell 'em that. Mo cars, mo o's, mo clothes, mo blow. Every day I'm hustling. It is Turn Top Tuesday on Coffee and Toe, playing today's hits and yesterday's favorites. Spend my thrills, custom spinning wheels. I ain't drove in a week. Them shit is spinning steel. Gonna get back to business right after this one from Rick Ross. Hustling. Gotta be on your hustle every day. A lot of drug dealing round me, going down in Dade County. Don't talk no 22s. Magnum cost me 22s. Sat it on her 22s. Birds go for 22s. Little mama super thin. She say she 22. She seen them 22. We in room 22. I touch work like I'm convertible Burt. I got distribution, so I'm converting the work. In the M I Y O. Switch off, steady slanging. My shit be banging. Every day I'm hustling. 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 Every day I'm. Every day I'm. All right, thank you for that one, Rick Ross. Appreciate that. Just a gentle reminder: stay on your hustle, folks. Whatever it is that you're doing. You can't in this country. You cannot rely on one income unless you are CEO of some major corporation. 
getting millions of dollars a year for your salary. Um, well, I at least can't rely on Dade County all day, Dre, 305. <laughs> yes, um, Kay, that beat, Koi, is it, what's her, how do you pronounce it? Koi, Laray, does she pronounce her first name Koi? I hope so. I hope I didn't mess her name up. So I found out the other day that she is Benzino's daughter. I did not know that. Didn't know at all. Interesting. Yeah. Anyway, back to business. Let's go. In stories on the international scene, a collection of rare centuries-old jewelry returns to Cambodia. Story courtesy of NPR.org. A spectacular collection of centuries-old Cambodian jewelry has been returned to the Southeast Asian country. The latest treasures to be retrieved from the estate of well-known antiquities collector and dealer Douglas Latchford, who was accused of buying and selling looted artifacts. Cambodia's Ministry of Culture and Fine Arts announced on Monday that 77 pieces of Cambodian jewelry from the Latchford family collection arrived back in their homeland on Friday. It said the collection included items such as gold and other precious metal pieces from the pre-Angkorian and Angkorian period, including crowns, necklaces, bracelets, belts, earrings, and amulets. Angkor, in the 9th to the 15th centuries, was a powerful kingdom in the area of present-day Cambodia, and tourists can see its legacy at the famous Angkor Wat Temple Complex in the country's northwest. The ministry said the handover of the items involved Han Meni, a lawmaker who is the youngest son of Prime Minister Hun Sen, Cambodia's ambassador to Britain, representatives of Britain's foreign office. The Art and Antiques Unit of London's Metropolitan Police and the Arts Council England. The return of the items followed a September 2020 agreement with the Latchfords family under which all Cambodian artifacts in their possession would be returned to Cambodia. Other stone and bronze artifacts were returned in September 2021. Latchford, known as both an, as an expert and a dealer in Cambodian and Indian antiquities died in August 2020 at the age of 88 in Bangkok, Thailand, where he lived for decades. Okay, in no I didn't even know this. In November 2018, U.S. federal prosecutors indicted him on charges of wire fraud, conspiracy, and other crimes related to alleged trafficking in stolen and looted Cambodian antiquities. Go right ahead. Isn't it, isn't it amazing how you call him a collector, a dealer, <laughs> and all this stuff? When essentially he's just a smuggler. <laughs> so because he's a well-known smuggler from the West, we give him all these fancy names. <laughs> he stole his stuff, oh, buy them illegally and all this stuff like that. Imagine what would happen if a lot of these artifacts was to go back to their origins. You know, there would be empty museums in parts of Europe. <laughs> I'm just saying. Oh, Lord. Oh, my gosh. 
Donna, why you have me laughing so hard this morning? But you're right. I would be classified a thief, a smuggler, a looter, but he's classified as an yeah, antiquities a dealer. Antiquities dealer, a collector, <laughs> you know, and all this stuff. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> oh boy. Um, kind of reminds me of something I read a couple weeks ago. Um, the different names for money. Debt, credit, <laughs> so on and so forth, right? Depending on what it's being used for, it takes on a whole different name. <laughs> oh, gosh. So my other question, though, is although he died, his family, are they going to be sending any money that was made off of these um, stolen in all caps, artifacts and antiquities and so on and so forth, are the money that they made off of them, that he made me off of them by um, selling them, is the family going to turn over any of it to Cambodia? I don't think something like that will happen because it's a very bad precedent to set. So you're looking at liquidating his estate. Because if that's what he did, you can say all the money he get is from the, most of the money he get is from these things. So who would consent to that? And if you set such a precedent, what happens when we decide to go after the British government for all the stuff they have in the museums and stuff and you have such precedents in courts? So some things I think wouldn't happen. They will, it will be a grand enough gesture that it was returned and it, the, it stops there. Stop there. Yeah. Other than that, the, the, the rest has too much implications. Hmm. But why are we worrying about the possible implications? Why are we worried about that, though? Seriously. When the things were being stolen, Donald, did anybody worry about... <laughs> I think um, a speech I saw, an interview by Mia Motley encapsulated the best. Okay. When um, the interviewer was asking her, essentially, um, why is there so much corruption in the, the regions like the Caribbean, and why um, it's like we, we can't run our countries properly, etc. And what she said in effect, and I was summarizing, is that the colonizers exploited the Caribbean and um, that region. She said, I think, to the east or so to the West. So they exploited us, all right? Mm -hmm. Take all our resources to fuel the Industrial Revolution. We, are, we gain independence. We are yet to recover from it. And now we are dealing with climate change. So you have to find ingenious ways now to not only fix what was done in the past, but to deal with what is coming with the climate change and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And this same countries that take all our resources and now are poisoning us are asking us why aren't we running our economies better why aren't we making better decisions she also made the point that the last time she checked the europe um europe and america was riddled with corruption but nobody <laughs> questioned their ability to run their affairs because they were riddled with corruption oh jesus so yeah <laughs> i like her 
She's not afraid to speak her mind tactfully. Yeah, but she gets the point across, doesn't she? You don't have to second guess what she's saying. She's very clear, very emphatic, very detailed. <laughs> and she means what she says. Yeah. Um, I guess it's a start. At least they're willing to return the stuff that has made them very wealthy. Mm, okay. Let me learn to be satisfied with baby steps. <laughs> and biting off small pieces before trying to stuff my mouth let, let me do that um all right next up a video gamer the beast is his name fights his way to kenyan gaming domination story courtesy of npr.org in some ways you could say the life of kenya's video game master brian the beast dianga is itself like a video game Trapped in an unhappy place by forces beyond his control, he fought his way out, and a console was his salvation. Brian Otieno Dianga started his life in a comfortable suburb of Nairobi, Kenya. He lived in a nice home with his parents and siblings. He had his own bedroom. He went to a good school. Then, suddenly, things took a turn for the worse. His dad lost his job as the head of medicine storage at Kenya Medical Supplies Authority because of a drinking problem, Brian says. The family of seven moved to Kibera, a sprawling slum in Nairobi, into a one-room house with mud walls and a roof made of rusty sheets of iron pocked with tiny holes. One could see sun rays during the day and moonlight rays during the night, he remembers. That was in 1999, Brian was seven years old. There was no electricity in their new home. They had to use a public toilet about 300 feet down a dark pathway. I was a kid, and I didn't know what to do, Brian says. He had become a lover of video games when his family was still living the posh life, thanks to an uncle who had one day brought over a gaming console. He kept up with his hobby after the family fortunes turned. He'd walk a mile or two to fetch water for other folks in the slum, hand over some of his earnings to his family, but keep some for himself to pay for video game time at local hangouts. They say video games are violent, but for me, that is not the case. I was escaping from this reality that I was in now, he says. It turned out to be a beneficial escape both psychologically and financially. Today, Brian's mastery of video games is encapsulated in his gamer nickname, The Beast. The 30-year-old earns a living as a gamer with prize money from tournaments. In 2022, he was given the title of Kenya's Gaming Ambassador by the informal gaming community of Kenya and East Africa. As he enjoys his fame, he gives back giving tech tutorials to kids in impoverished neighborhoods and even serving as a volunteer firefighter since he was a teenager. He credits his tough childhood years for his success as a gaming competitor. Brian says life in the slum made him a better gaming competitor. Growing up in the ghetto prepares you for a tough life. There is no sign of weakness when living in slums like Kibera, he says. You know, if you have mental toughness, 
You don't get tired quickly and exhausted. Plus, remember, I was also working out my body through my side gig of fetching water for people in my hood. Carrying water for more than two miles was not a joke. It contributed to my toughness. But school was another story. He says it was hard to keep his uniform clean and teachers called him dirty and would beat him. And if he came home from school late, his mother would be mad, suspecting that he had stopped to play video games, and she was often right. He ran away when he was 14, he says, and lived with other people living on the streets in Nairobi's Uhuru Park. For two months, he scavenged food from trash and begged from passers-by. One day, he went back to his old gaming place. I had missed video games, says Brian. On that trip, he ended up meeting his grandmother, and she held his hand and said she was not letting him out of sight again. After finishing school, Brian tried his hand at various jobs, illustrator at an ad agency, a concierge at a hotel in Egypt, and he was still captivated by video games. When he found out that there was prize money to be had, he decided to start challenging people to win money. Towards the end of 2015, Brian returned to Kenya, used his job savings to build a house for his mother, and enrolled in coding class. He also started participating in local gaming tournaments, won more and more games, and ended up being baptized The Beast, a reference to how he plays his signature game, Mortal Kombat. These days, Brian says he makes about $1,000 to $2,000 a year in a year, a significant sum in a country where most people earn $3 to $5 a day. A childhood friend, Mohammed Suleiman, says that Brian's success made us feel proud that Kabira's brand was being lifted positively. That, yes, we can also do great things. He shared his fame and wealth. He's provided food baskets for families in Kibera and offers free programming lessons for kids at a friend's cyber cafe in Kibera, as well as a free photography and art classes. I appreciate the works of this young man, Brian. Our children have been engaged in meaningful activities. And that's according to Alima Chimera, the mother of three. My son, who is now 10 years old, is showing more interest to want to learn how to type on a computer. Here's the thing, folks. It's not the lemons that we're given. It's how we turn around and turn them into lemonade. And what we do with that lemonade. Are we going to drink the lemonade? Are we going to sell the lemonade? Are we going to share the lemonade? Option one, drinking it. Yeah, it will quench your thirst, but then what? It's over. It's done. Option two, selling it will allow you to be able to purchase more lemons, purchase sugar, get some water, and bottle up some more, and bring in a steady stream of income eventually. It may not happen right away. And option number three, sharing your lemonade with others. And when I say sharing with others, teaching them how they too can take their circumstances, the situations that they have found themselves in, many times not their own doing, 
but they can pivot. They can turn it into something else. It doesn't have to set them back or hold them back. But we must have vision. There must be something that we have in mind that we want to accomplish. There must be a goal. It's not going to be easy. Nobody ever said it's going to be easy. Doable? Yeah. Easy? No. But you need to be determined. Resilient. Develop that mental fortitude so that you can push on through. Surround yourself with people who will encourage you and motivate you and lift you up, especially in those moments when you feel as though you're not getting ahead, you're not making any progress, you're, you're not seeing the results you want to see. I hope we all can pull from this young man's story, his success, and, it, and incorporate some little aspect, if not all of it, in our lives. His father had a good job, but made bad decisions. His drinking habit cost him his job, caused him and his family to have to move into the slums. Just like that, in the blink of an eye, our situations can change. So we dare not sit on our pedestals and look down on anyone right they ended up in the slums but what did he do he tried to find a way out he loved gaming he didn't fold his hands he realized that if he wanted to do gaming he's gonna have to um foot that bill he wanted to play so he went trekking the two miles. I'm not sure if I would even want to trek the two miles. I'd be complaining. Oh my gosh. But that's what we need to stop doing, complaining. Make the sacrifices so that we can yield the results. Say congratulations to you, Brian. Keep going. Continue being an inspiration. Please do never give up. Let me check the chat real quick. Geely says, I'm not sure if they still do it, but people visiting Kenya used to be able to tour Kibera. Is it Kibera or Kibera? I'm not quite sure it's pronounced, but Kibera with a local guide. Okay. It's my first time hearing about the city reading this story or this town, however they refer to it, town, village, not sure. My first time hearing about it, but I find his story truly inspirational. Yes, Donald, he found a way to finance his hobby. He wasn't looking for handouts. He trekked the two miles to fetch water and earned his money that way in his slum, in his community. Gave some to his mother and saved the rest to be able to continue his passion. I love it. I absolutely love it. It is an inspirational story. And I hope someone listening finds inspiration in it. If you have a vision, a dream, an ideal, 
put it on the notepad in your tablet or in your phone, write it down in your journal, scribble it on sticky notes, put it somewhere where you go every day so it will serve as a reminder. Right? Step one. You're looking at it daily. What else do I recommend? I recommend that you start doing research. I said it yesterday, or was it last night? I don't remember, but yesterday. Um, our cell phones are not just for entertainment, but our cell phones can be used to do research. So get as much information as you can. Try to see who you can align yourself with, learn from, whatever, and start putting your idea together, right? Which, bring it to fruition. We can do it. We can do it. Yeah. Ah, MK says they still do the tours. That story is so uplifting. Thanks for sharing. You're welcome, MK. You are welcome. And the other thing we have to remember in life is not to be selfish. Our talents were not given to us for us to keep them to ourselves, but to share them. Each one teach one, each one reach one. Let us not move through life in a selfish fashion. Okay, so what if somebody takes your idea, runs away with it? Guess what? What's for you is for you. Don't you ever forget that. Let us not get caught up in what others are doing that we deem as actions to try to hold us back. We're going to push through regardless. Sometimes we need those people to do those things to us, to help us see if that's what we're really wanting to do. But let's switch it up. We talk about haters. Oh, they just hating on me. No, you need them. Are you going to allow those people to stop you? Or are you going to allow them to propel you? Many of us give up on dreams because we're worried about what other people are saying about us or doing to us. And guess what? We have disappointed ourselves. We've let ourselves down. So we're going to spin it around. Welcome the haters, as you call them. Welcome those who are giving you a hard time. Because what they're doing is they're shaping you. Should be helping you to become even more determined to succeed. All right. That's it. I'm done. MK says Kibera is the largest slum area in the east in East and Central Africa. Wow. Do government the government of Kenya do they care to change it? Or the, how long has it been like that? I always wonder about slums, you know, all over the country, all over the world, I should say. You know, and you see videos. Go ahead. Go right ahead, James. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, um, before uh, COVID, um, the, the Morgan's family, um, Morgan Heritage, mm -hmm. they have like a, a, a massive um, tech summit 
in, in Nairobi. And and it's like when you see the, 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 the talent, like in terms of technology, what um those young young bright minds are doing, it's it's amazing. And I yeah, I don't know what happened to it since COVID, but hopefully it's something that can get back up and running because it was like a massive like thousands of people um came out and you know you see like some of those young bright minds that don't really get the opportunity to showcase their um their skills uh-huh. and yeah they were able to you know to go there and, and and to highlight a lot of those um young people so hopefully something that um they can continue um but i think covid um put a, a stop to it but hopefully they can continue it all right awesome um thank you james donald just put something in the chat folks that i implore you to share this information um click on the links and pass it on if not for yourself pass it on to someone um one can use courser coursera c-o-u-r-s-e-r-a dot org and exd for my online listeners i'm going to repeat it exd.org there these are two ways people who cannot afford formal education can start new careers for free in most cases there are small fees for the certifications however one can audit the entire course of free let me say it again for my folks online listening on jano radio and kimsey radio c-o-u-r-s-e-r-a coursera.org and exd.org no, edx.org sorry oh, correction edx, EDX. Oh, i'm sorry edx edx edx.org all right donald says there are a lot of free courses on those platforms so we're gonna stop making excuses and this is what we're talking about right here on coffee and Toe. we talk about sharing information all the time information is out there if we get it, we're going to pass it on. We're not going to keep it to ourselves. So I'm going to ask all our listeners on QMZRadio.com, JohnORadio.com, as well as right here in Clubhouse, if this information is not beneficial to you, please pass it on. Even if it's beneficial to you, still pass it on to someone else. All right? Yeah, I find them very interesting because there are courses from a lot of the top universities. You could even get courses from MIT and those institutions there. They're usually for a small fee. There are certification courses, usually self-paced, six to eight weeks. And um, it's the same knowledge. So someone that is interested in a career who don't know where to start or knows nothing about the career could actually do some of these courses and get a pretty good grasp of the the information and so on and it might even help them with, with their first little part-time job or something because they will get that knowledge to kickstart without mm-hmm. having to pay love it love it and they're getting a certificate right yes if you pay some some of the fees are small like less than a hundred dollars sometime um you get a certificate that you could even publish to your linkedin profile and so on too so you can link it linkedin one time if somebody's reviewing your, your linkedin they could see you do this course on coursera or on edx i think udemy is another one there are a couple out there but coursera and edx for sure i know are pretty good Okay. And some of the courses really well written. Okay, thank you so much. I made a mistake. Thank you, Javette. I didn't realize. I thought I was saying .org. It is edx.org. 
org. Let me say it again. E D E as in Edward, D as in David, X as in xylophone. E D X dot org O R G. And the other one is Coursera dot org. C O U R S E R A. Um, Dre put in the chat. Udemy. Am I saying it right? Udemy. Udemy. U D E M Y. Is that dot org or dot com? Dot com. Dot com. All right. So those are three platforms that you can go to. Um, and are the courses tech specific to tech? Um, Dono? No, there are various courses. There are various courses. You could choose your area of study and see what relates to you. It's not only tech. There's a lot of tech courses, but it's not only tech. Okay. And anybody, where, I'm sorry, let me rephrase that. Anywhere you are in the world, Any you're able in to the take world. Anywhere, anywhere in the world, in the world. Oh, I think right. um, EDX is an experiment where they're looking at how you can make education easier and disseminate it more, something like that. All right, thank uh, you. Also, thank you. Let, let me add, like, um, if you're on LinkedIn, LinkedIn, um, LinkedIn have courses too. They have their education part also where you could, um, I think it's near LinkedIn Learn. I, I don't know what they call it nowadays. Yes, LinkedIn but, Learn. LinkedIn Learn. Yes, LinkedIn is very good too. And um, and everybody, you need to have a LinkedIn profile. I, I, I know the HR people, they will agree with that because uh, that's the easiest way to get hired nowadays. The recruiters are on LinkedIn. All right. So, a lot of valuable information wherever you are in the world. So to any of us listening, wherever our friends or family members are in the world, they can take advantage of these opportunities. Ju I just jumped on to Coursera.org, launch a new career in as little as um, uh, six months. Yes, Javed, thank you. We're going to keep repeating this because the goal is to share information, right? We're not going to be selfish. We're not going to hold on to opportunities that exist and not pass it on. So anywhere people are in the world. Now, for those folks who live in situations where they're not able to afford anything, there are, my light bill went down by $10, folks. I'm, I'm feeling so happy right now. My light, I'm sorry, my light bill just popped up. You heard me complaining the other day about my light bill. It just went down by $10. <laughs> okay, but yeah, on a serious note, let me get back to being serious. Um, wherever you are in the world, if you cannot afford, there are free programs available. Take advantage of every opportunity. We're going to stop making excuses. One more point here, uh, moments. If you're in the U.S., there are some public libraries that would allow you to take the courses in Coursera and get the certificate for free. I'm not sure if it's an arrangement between them, but you could explore that option also. Ah, love that. Love that. So MK put something in the chat. MK said, I took a public health course in Harvard. The course was free, but the certificate cost $600. What is $600 if you save it up, right folks? I would be happy to say, okay, somebody doesn't have the $600. Can each of us donate $60, right? Can each of us donate $20, whatever you can afford to donate to help that person make a life 
life-changing decision. If we know somebody who is struggling, wants to make a change so that they can take better care of their family, and they're a little short, or they may have the funds but can't afford to pay a babysitter or whatever, let us see how we can step up and build up our communities so that everybody has the chance to change the trajectory of their lives and increase their what's coming into their home the money that's coming in that will allow them to feel some kind of dignity and pride we can do this tech is not going anywhere uh, you know we talk about it tech is in everything every single thing tech is involved in so not, you can't lose off of that. But um, there are so many different areas that you can look into. Look at what it is that you're passionate about, you're interested in, and yeah, go there. Javette, thank you so much. Javette says she's going to prepare a list so that we can um, talk about them as often as possible. Probably we should select one day a week where we can remind everyone about these opportunities that are available. All right? You know, everybody doesn't have to go to college. And guess what? You don't know what could happen. You might do so well, get signed to a company, and then guess what? They may pay for you to go to college. They may, yes, you may have to be committed to them for two years to five years. But weigh, weigh your pros and cons. Right? Think about it. Thank you so much, Donald. I appreciate you um, starting off that conversation. Thank you. And congratulations again to this young man in Kenya who is doing great things. Unfortunately, a new earthquake hits Turkey as teams still respond to earlier catastrophic quake. Story courtesy of NPR.org. At least three people were killed and more than 200 injured when a magnitude 6.4 earthquake followed by a magnitude 5.8 quake shook southeastern Turkey on Monday. That's according to Turkey's interior minister. It came as emergency teams are still responding to the catastrophic earthquake two weeks ago, which killed nearly 45,000 people in Turkey and Syria and displaced an estimated 1 million people. Turkish authorities say Monday's quake struck around 8 p.m. local time. The February 6 earthquake was a magnitude 7.8. Turkish officials say there have been thousands of aftershocks in the last two weeks. We head on over to Zimbabwe, courtesy of Al Jazeera News. Like slaves, Zimbabwe farm workers lash out at work conditions. For the most of the last nine years, Admire Munatsi has gotten to his boss's farmhouse in Beatrice, 40 miles south of Harare at dawn, to begin a, risk, a range of tasks from cleaning the chicken run and pigsty to washing cars. By 7 a.m., he joins his workmates in his oversized work suit and tattered gum boots to start a 10-hour shift as an irrigator at the farm. His combined monthly pay for both roles is $70. But despite the poor wages and long working schedule, Manazzi considers himself lucky compared with many others across Zimbabwe who work similar daily routines. Sometimes my boss's family pampers me with all their unwanted stuff, clothes, utensil, utensils, and even food. 
A few farmers in the surrounding farms pay above $50. Zimbabwe's agriculture sector remains the largest employer of labor in the country, but the official minimum wage for farm laborers is about 78,000 Zimbabwean dollars, which is approximately $70 per month. With the annual inflation rate now at about 180% in a country where more than half of the workforce is in the informal sector, low-paying, labor-intensive jobs are still very appealing. Across Zimbabwe, some farm laborers now work multiple jobs to complement their meager earnings. Others are trying to strike their luck in neighboring Botswana and South Africa sometimes ending up as victims of horrific xenophobic attacks. Within Zimbabwe, many farm laborers live in colonial-era shacks, commonly known as Makomboni. Monatsi lives in one, sharing two rooms with his wife and four children. Some of his pairs have to make do with living in renovated pigsties, tobacco barns, and horse stables on farms where they work. Al Jazeera spoke to almost a dozen laborers, but most chose to speak anonymously for fear of reprisals from their bosses. Like Manazzi, many said they struggled to provide even the basics for their family, routinely owing their bosses and lenders money, a pattern that has led to many farm laborers being forced to stick to their underpaying jobs for many years. We all dream of better paying jobs and better lives for our families. But what can you do, he said. It's like we are slaves. No immediate change since the days of colonial rule in what was then Rhodesia, a talking point in Zimbabwe's agriculture-dominated economy, has been the exploitation of illiterate black farm laborers and their white settler farmer bosses. In the 1950s and 60s, there was an influx of migrant workers from neighboring Malawi and Zambia into the Zimbabwean job market, offering cheap labor. Some local laborers were forcibly recruited, but for others, it was a choice between working for cheap or starving in their villages where there were no jobs. When Zimbabwe finally got independence in 1980 after protracted liberation war, Robert Mugabe I black well the new first black prime minister adopted a globally applauded reconciliation policy with white farmers this left mostly white commercial farmers in full control of the majority of the country's prime farmland but there was no change of fortunes for farm laborers independence brought no immediate change to the mindset of white commercial farmers and their treatment of black farm laborers Perhaps what only changed is that some farmers stopped using racist terms when insulting us. That's according to Maponga, who is now 72. I'd like to speak to the farmers for a second. There is in no way, shape or form, and I don't know what your books look like. I really don't know how much you make off of the um products that are farmed whether there's i don't know what it is i don't know but i'm gonna put myself in their shoes if i owned a farm and i'm not able to pay much i'm going to at least see to it that they have decent living conditions 
And again, here I go in my fairy tale world. I would never be comfortable knowing that an employee of mine is sleeping in a pigsty, a horse stable, some shed. And I'm not asking you um, farmers to build palatial homes for them. I'm not asking that. But put up a structure, whether it's a one-bedroom structure so the farmer and his wife can sleep in the room and then the children can sleep in a section of the, the um, open space that will be shared as a living room, dining room, kitchen, something. But make it feel dignified at least. Also, if you own a farm, no employee of yours should be worrying about how they're going to eat. Allow them a plot, a piece around the home where they're able to farm for themselves or depending on what your produce is, they should be able to take from that. If you rear chickens, they should have a chicken or two. That They shouldn't have to go any day without a meal, a complete meal if you ask me. We have to let go of the colonial way of life, of giving the bare minimum and treating people less than, keeping them impoverished. And impoverished is not just relating to money, but in all aspects of their life. Again, as I said, I don't know how your books stay, but I think you can do more. Go right ahead. I think that was Donna. Yeah, moments. Um, you made points of um, helping provide them with better education and so on. I think we need a paradigm shift. I'm not sure what the situation is, and um, the farmer will try to survive, and the workers have to survive. But I think we have to have a paradigm shift where we create more circular economies. No man should be working full-time 10 hours and can't take care of his family. So there has to be a compensation package that will allow the farmer to make money and allow the worker to be able to survive and take care of his family. Because as a working man, you don't need charity or handout from the person that employs you. And also as an Is it me or employer, <laughs> you, as an employer, you have to be able to make profit to run your, your enterprise. I think we have to get away from some of the old ways of doing business and create new structures that will benefit everybody. Everybody. It can be the farmer is terrible and the worker is a slave and stuff. There has to be a balance that has to be achieved. And unless we go to that, we will be back in the situation again. But we have to find a way to find some circular beneficial economy, mm -hmm. economic model. Agreed. I Go ahead. Go right ahead. Uh, James, go ahead. Yes, yeah, so remember we had this conversation a, a few months ago and, you know, I mentioned at the time, pretty much what's happening to Haiti is what, what's happening to Zimbabwe. Like, because of, of what, um, um, what's his name, the Mugabe? Mugabe. Oh, James, yeah. to your, hold on one second, James. Let me put this in there so you have this to, to use as a speaking point as well. By the early 2000s, veterans of the Liberation War started occupying and taking over the white-owned farms, Right backed by the Mugabe administration. Black farm laborers found themselves working for new bosses. Who were these new bosses? 
black bosses. But again, working conditions barely changed. Go right ahead, James. Yes, yeah, so we, we spoke about that the last time too. So what 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 happened at the time? Remember, um um after independent after independence, uh, Mugabe like took over the white owned um farmlands and handed them over to to locals, like mm -hmm. handed back people their land that was taken um when um as soon as they got independent. And because of that, they're still paying the price now for that for that move because um britain um was upset with them like they, they were trying to work out something and um like mugavi was saying no like this this is our people land and we're taking it back and they he went ahead and did that even though the the british government at the time advised him not to and he's paying the price for that the country has been paying the price for that ever since so what happened in, in that type of situation, you find that the political the political class, because remember, it's it's almost like almost like a dictatorship. Because even when he stepped down, he handed it over to this new guy um, that's running the country now, and it's pretty much the same thing. So ninety nine percent of the island is of the the, the country is like poor. There's a one percent, and and. What's going on there, like every day there's like um, load shedding in terms of um, power, in terms of internet, in terms of water, everything. Apart from the, that, that 1% to 5% of the rich that live in certain community, they have power, they have um, internet service, they have um, water like 24-7. But for the majority of the country, like they have to go like hours without water, hours without electricity. And the internet service is like ridiculous, and I think it's it's the farmers. I think their their hands are tied, right? Because they're not like in terms of Zimbabwe is a landlock. Um, Hold on a second, James. Let let me stop you right there. One second. I'm gonna let you continue. Let me stop you right there. Yeah. I'm not gonna say their hands are tied, and here is why. Because many of the farms in Zimbabwe are owned by members of parliament politicians and other influential professionals whose interests as farm owners often conflicted with their other roles so they they their their hands are not tied they the people who own the farms are in a position to make the necessary changes they're there they have the opportunity to ensure that there is an improvement with management skills they have the opportunity to ensure that reliable water supply is their power supply. They have the opportunity to increase the infra, um, to make good the infrastructure, things like roads. Yeah, but they choose not to. But carry on, James. I had to give you that one. Yeah, no, but what I'm saying is that the same way the Americans kind of um, turn off the, 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 the pipeline on, on Cuba, that's what's happening to Zimbabwe. So because... Zimbabwe is a landlocked um, country. They depend on countries, the surrounding countries, South Africa and all those other places. And politically, they are like isolated because of the move that they made. So yeah, the, the farm, the farmers there, they supply their local economy. But they, but in terms of exports and stuff like that, they're not able to maximize their full potential because of that. And most people in Zimbabwe like. 
people, there's a lot of refugees like in Canada, there's in, in, in the USA, and a very educated population, and that's how a lot of them are surviving, you know, remittance, like sending back money back home and stuff like that. Uh -huh. But I know the, go the government can do better, but, but what you have to understand, whenever, like, the big powers decide to shut you off, like, these governments now become dictators and keep try to keep the money for themselves because they're shut off from the world, and that's what's happening with, with Zimbabwe. So I think, yeah, England need to do something too in terms of, like, starting back relations with them um, and you know, get South Africa and the other surrounding country involved that, you know, things can come back because no country can survive. And I think it was like 75% or 65% um, informal economy. You can't survive on that. Uh, okay. Thank you, James. Thank you, Donald. Um, moment. Uh -huh. To, okay, so to what James said, yeah, there is there is some truth in it where there's they have pressures from outside. But also if you look at the point Gilly made in the comment, where a lot of his cabinet members who took up these farms are not farmers. And a lot of them made some of those farms worse in terms of productivity and so on. Because they have it because of the power, but they don't know what to do with it or how to run it properly. Additionally, in my opinion, whether you have white farmers, black farmers, Indian farmers, purple farmers, um, owners, if we continue with the same model, if we have white people that run a slave model on their farm, and we come and we put black people that run a slave model on the farm, the bottom line is the farm is still a slave farm. So nothing has changed. All that changes is the ownership. And on top of that, some of the new black owners knows nothing about farming. Hmm. They are the ones making the political decisions and they are not putting anything in place to develop a lot of the stuff that happens on the farm. Because even if you have problems exporting and stuff, there is no reason why, especially from a politician that owns a farm, I can't make that we have proper local housings or that we have workers that can see a little more benefit. Yes, we may struggle to export our stuff, but Zimbabwe, um, as you say, export to neighboring countries. So we could we could look to exploit some of these things. You understand what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And just the same way they have a very good education system where, remember we did the article where a lot of the nurses and stuff is going to, to England and stuff like that because they are qualified. We could do something to improve the whole farming community. I'm just saying, it's not perfect, but we could be, we could do better. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. So, so go ahead, Javette. Go ahead. Yeah. So in that same mindset, because the people that own the farm don't understand how to work the farm, then can the people rise up and say, if you don't treat me X way, then we're not going to do something, and then everybody loses? Can that mindset happen? But you need, you need collectability. You need a collective force for that to happen. Because if, no, I'm just if, if they all decide to come, just, you know, hypothetically, if they all decide that we're going to come together, and I'm not going to even say form a union, just come together and say we're not going to work the farms 
unless you treat us differently, can things change? Yes, for sure. But I think it's a very difficult proposition because the first person that put for that idea might just die and then everybody else just say, you know what, let me keep my life. So there has to be strategic planning. There has to be a situation where everybody work, has made a commitment to work together and not allow anyone to crack them. Because you know you're always going to have a weak link, right? Yeah, yeah, moments. But the thing is, there was an uprising before. Um, but the thing is, like, what you have to understand in Africa, it's not like um, what we see going on in, in Ukraine now. Like, you know, when you look at places like Eritrea and a lot of places, they're uprising happening every day. There are thousands of people dying. But we don't know. The, like, if you don't know someone on the ground, you don't know what's going on. So the uprising that happened um, right before, like, all the, like, the Japan uprising, the China, like, they had an uprising where young college students came together, and it went nowhere because, as I said, like, they're cut off from the outside world, so the outside world is not interested in helping them. So it, it happened before. Oh. oh, boy. I, I, um, yeah, I agree with you, Javed. It boils down to modern-day slavery. But let me go ahead and read some comments from the chat. Um, Julie said, most of the white farmers lost the land because of land reform under Mugabe. Unfortunately, the people who got the land after knew nothing about farming, and that's where the decline really started. He was handing it to his cabinet members that knew nothing about farming, and, knew, and a few farms deteriorated. Zimbabwe was where most South Africans ran during the apartheid. It was a fully functioning country before these sanctions. Anti-government protests are not welcomed. People will die, unfortunately. So who do we speak to? Who do we make an impression upon? Whom? Who has imposed these sanctions? Do we approach them? Do we approach the leaders of Zimbabwe and their cabinet members? Or do we approach both and have a sit down with all parties involved? Yeah, as I said earlier, I think the British, because I, I agree with the, with the whole farming situation, but it's not as simple as that. When the white farmers were, were you know, on the land, they they had contracts um of you know exports going out of the country all of that was shut off when mugabe decided that he's going to take over like i guess he thought that he could have kicked out the white farmers and still keep those same contracts going and everything was cut off um when he decided to do that and they weren't able to recover from that it's just like if you know, like if, just imagine like in anywhere in the Caribbean, you're, you're producing bananas and stuff like that. And 75% goes for export and, you know, the 25% stay to feed the, the, the country. That's what was happening. And when he decided to do that, you know, as I said, he was isolated and they're like, okay, you, you can't just come and kick out these farmers and, and <clears throat> sorry, and take away their land and everything was cut off. So I think 
yeah, the government, the British government have to be a part of the solution because, yeah, they, they, they can't export anything. They can't, do, they can't do much apart from people trying to, to, to run away to go to like South Africa and then to make it from South Africa to America, Canada, Europe. And, and, and that's, that's how people survive there. Yeah, yeah. All right, thank you so much, everyone. Appreciate your input into that conversation. Next up, crackdown on child marriage tears families apart in India's Assam. Story courtesy of Al Jazeera. As Saidul Islam stares at rows of wilted cauliflowers and cabbages, the 33-year-old is unable to decide what is more frightening, his dying crop or weeks of imprisonment. The patch of land where Islam grows his vegetables was not watered for two weeks while the vegetable grower from Assam's Dalgoan village, about 100 kilometers from state capital Dispur, was bundled into jail on charges of marrying an underage girl seven years ago. His bride was then 15. On February 3, the police in Assam, ruled by the Hindu right-wing Bharatiya Janata Party, went on an arrest spree as part of a mass crackdown against child marriage. Within 24 hours, more than 2,000 people, including grooms, their family members, and religious leaders allegedly involved in underage marriages of girls were imprisoned in makeshift jails. More than two weeks later, the number of arrested people stands at more than 3,000, including 93 women. We were a happy couple. Islam was one of them. He told Al Jazeera he managed to secure bail after spending two weeks in jail. I engaged one lawyer and spent a lot of money to get bail. I was already poor, now I am poorer, he said, adding that over that fortnight his health deteriorated drastically. I have become very weak, and so has my wife. On Saturday, when Al Jazeera visited Islam's house, his wife Noor Jahan Nissa fainted because of weakness. She recovered after a while. We were a happy couple. But my arrest has had a devastating effect on her, Islam said. Since his release, Islam has been constantly staring at his agricultural field, his sole source of income. My crops have been destroyed. I had worked so hard growing them. I wonder how I will survive now. Assam has registered more than 4,200 cases with 6,707 people accused under the Protection of Children from Sexual Offenses Act in cases where a girl below 14 was married. For those married between the ages of 14 to 18, it has invoked the prohibition of the Child Marriage Act 2006. In Islam's village, Al Jazeera found that police had arrested people from at least 15 homes. Most of those arrested are fathers-in-law of the women as their husbands are working outside the state. Shajmina Khatun, who claims she was 18 when she married 18 months ago, said the police arrested her father-in-law. With a toddler in hand, Khatun is clueless as to when he will return home. Her husband works as a daily wage earner in Karnataka. Khatun alleges her father-in-law was arrested because they are Muslim. I think the arrests related to child marriage are to harass Muslim people. In Khatun's neighborhood, Abruan Nissa 19 is waiting for the return 
of five of her arrested family members, her husband, father-in-law, mother-in-law, brother-in-law, and one more relative. She's alone at home with her child. Not sure how I'll feed my child. The earning members, my husband and father-in-law, are in jail, and I want justice. The police in Assam retrospectively booked people who allegedly participated in child marriage in the past seven years. However, according to Section 468 of the Criminal Procedure Code, if the punishment under law is between one to three years, then a court of law cannot consider cases older than three years. Under the Prohibition of Child Marriage Act 2006, the maximum punishment is two years. However, if the government is invoking POCSO, P-O-C-S-O, there is no limitation as the minimum punishment under the law is 10 years. So do we feel sorry for them or no? If there is a law that says child marriage is wrong, why are they still doing it and expect that it's okay? Why? It could be like here. There are plenty of laws on the books that they don't abide by, that they ignore. The law could have been there and they just ignored it for a while and now they've decided to crack down. That's why they keep the stuff on the books. So, uh, Crystal, so in this case then, if they know the law and choose not to adhere to the law and the those in power decide, you know what, enough is enough. You're not taking us seriously. This is what's going to happen. Should we feel sorry for them? Should we feel sorry for these men? Here's, here's my thing with that. If it's illegal, right, then technically these weddings aren't legal because they didn't go to a legal person to get married. So basically, you're not arresting people that have been married. You're arresting people that you feel... Um, did something with a child. Can't think of a better word to use right now on air. <laughs> the marriages technically aren't legal because it's against the law. Mm-hmm. At some point, we have to crack down. We spoke about this, was it yesterday, as it relates to the situation in Jamaica and and, and um, alleged fraud and um, nepotism and all that. We spoke about that. At some point, we're going to have to crack down. It's tough. But because it wasn't being enforced before, doesn't make it okay. The ones I feel bad for are the, the children, the child brides. They're the ones I feel bad for. Not the adults who ignore the law and continue the ritualistic behavior. Exactly. Because now you're leaving people without any means of taking care of themselves. 
You can't blame the government. You can't. You have to blame yourself because you made that decision. You know, when I'll go back to the, what was the movie I said I watched with Viola Davis, uh, Woman King? And that scene where the daughter is being presented to this old man and because of her insolence, the man slaps her. And she, well, I, I wouldn't call it insolence. She, she, she was being outspoken and she has a right to say, no, I don't want to marry this old man. But that's deemed as being insolent and she's out of line and out of place. She's supposed to go ahead and marry this old ass man who could possibly be her grandfather. And he's looking at her as an object, something he's going to own and he's going to straighten her out. And she was very defiant, rightfully so. How do parents really do it? Turn over your little girls to these old ass men. Some of the men are older than their own parents for a couple cows. Some goats. Knowing too that this. And the man abused the child in front of her parents. That's what you're giving your child over to. To be abused. Some things we definitely need to do away with. Last night on Days After Dark. Um, there was a gentleman in the space. And he made a very poignant comment. When he, so I, I can't remember word for word, but alluding to something to the effect of um, traditions are dead people's way to, to keep us suppressed. Something like that. I can't remember word for word now. But are some traditions worth holding on to realistically? Realistically. Is it worth it holding on to some traditions? Because these young girls, unfortunately, are denied the opportunity to have an education because their job is to be home barefooted and pregnant and cater to the men, 365, That's it. That's that's your job. There's a woman who died by suicide after her son was arrested during the crackdown. Unfortunate. But I hope that they will put a stop to this. Put a stop to it. Passing off children to be married to grown men. <sighs> that story wraps up the news from the international scene. I'm just going to take one quick break. And when we get back, we have stories out of North America.
It's Turned Up Tuesday. Why am I rushing to wait? Turned Up Tuesday right here on Coffee and Toe, World News on the Go. Wait, we're only watching the skies, hoping for the best, but expecting the worst. Are you gonna drop the bomb or not? Let us die young or let us live forever. We don't have the power, but we never say never. Sitting in a sand pit, life is a short trip. The music's for the sad man. Champagne's always cold and the music's always good And the pretty girls just happen to stop by in the hood And they hop they pretty ass up on the hood of that pretty ass car Without a wrinkle in today Cause there's no tomorrow Just a picture perfect day that lasts a whole lifetime And it never ends Cause all we have to do is hit rewind So let's just stay in the moment Smoke some drink some wine Reminisce, talk some Forever young is in your mind Leave them off the can of race Neither space nor time So when the director yells cut I'll be fine I'm forever young Forever young I wanna be forever young Do you really want to live forever? Forever and ever Fear not when, I fear not why, fear not much while we're alive Life is for living, not living up tight See you somewhere up in the sky, fear not die I'll be alive for a million years Bye-bye, so not for legends, I'm forever young My name shall survive Through the darkest blocks over kitchen stoves Over pirates' pots, my name shall be passed down To generations while debating up in barbershops Young, slung, hung, here, shorter than from here with a little ambition just what we can become here and as the father passed the story down to his son's ears younger kid younger every year yeah so if you love me baby this is how you let me know don't ever let me go that's how you let me know baby thank you to all of our listeners logged on to the quality music zone qmzradio.com 
and everyone listening on johnoradio.com. Got to give a big thank you to everyone right here with me on Clubhouse. This is where the conversation happens. I'm Moments with me. You're listening to Coffee Into World News on the Go. Tune in every Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. Eastern. This is where I read the news and we share our views. Keep it locked. Popping up on Forbes this gorgeous. Hold up. Thought I lost it. They be talking. I'll be talking more. They nauseous. Hold up. I'll be here forever. You know I'm on my fault. But I ain't with foreclosure. I will never forfeit. Less than four bars. Google bring the chorus in. Did you get the picture yet? I'm painting you a portrait of young. Forever young. I wanna be forever young. To live forever, forever, forever young. Thank you for that one, Jay-Z, Forever Young. And it's time for us to get into stories out of North America. First up, arrest has been made in the killing of a Catholic bishop in California. Story courtesy of WSVN. A suspect has been arrested in the killing of a Catholic bishop who was fatally shot over the weekend in Southern California in a crime that shocked the Los Angeles religious and immigrant communities, authorities said on Monday. The person was arrested in the killing of Auxiliary Bishop David O'Connell, who was found in his home with a gunshot wound and declared dead at the scene. Sheriff Robert Luna was expected to provide details at a news conference at 3 p.m. Pacific time. O'Connell, 69, was killed just blocks from the St. John Vianney Catholic Church, part of his archdiocese in Hacienda Heights, an unincorporated community about 20 miles east of downtown L.A. O'Connell was found around 1 p.m. on Saturday with a gunshot wound. Sheriff's deputies were called to the area for a report of a medical emergency. Authorities have not said whether the bishop was targeted or if his religion might have been a factor. DeSantis, DeSantis, DeSantis makes stops in New York, Philadelphia to promote tougher laws on crime. This story is also courtesy of WSVN. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis made stops in the Northeast to promote tougher laws on crime. He spent President's Day in New York City on Staten Island and in the suburbs of Philadelphia. The governor was invited to take part in several discussions on law and order, as well as policing. We back the blue and we support their mission, DeSantis said. This all comes as speculation grows that the governor is gearing up to launch a bid for the White House and that these trips to other states are meant to test the waters as his national profile has grown in the past few years. His message touts Florida's successes. People have looked at Florida as the place to be in the past few years in our country, he said. We are the fastest growing state in the United States. Florida has led the country for many years now in net in migration. We are the number one state for economic freedom, number one state for new business formation number. DeSantis quickly turned to national and culture war issues. Number one state for education freedom, DeSantis said. We work really hard to make sure that we have a K-12 through system that parents can have confidence in that, you know, as a parent, you send your kid to a school in Florida 
And that child will get an education, not a political indoctrination. They want to get things like gender ideology. We have stuff with critical theory where they'll basically take a kid, comes in six years old, and they'll say, you're white, you're an oppressor. The visit did not go unnoticed. New York City's Democratic Mayor Eric Adams took aim at the governor's controversial policies, tweeting, Welcome to New York at Gov. Ron DeSantis, a, player, a place where we don't ban books, discriminate against our LGBTQ plus neighbors, use asylum seekers as props, or let the government stand between a woman and healthcare. We're happy to teach you something about values while you're here. As much as I am proud that Florida is doing well, I want the country to do well, said DeSantis. If the, co- if the governor does announce his candidacy, he'd be stepping into a growing field of candidates after former President Donald Trump and former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley. New Yorkers, how did you all receive him up there? Were you all happy to have him up there? (laughs) And Philadelphians, What did he have to say about, um, besides we bat the blue? What else did he have to say? Did he have anything else to say? Anything? A bunch of crack tackle. <laughs> it was all lies. <laughs> we read the news about him every day. How are he going to go to New York and spit that nonsense? Geely says we don't claim Staten Island. <laughs> oh, gosh. Ay, ay, ay. <laughs> but what did, ex- I, I want to hear what was his outline to tackle crime? That, that's, you know, you talk about back in the blue, but what exactly? What are the things? Let's have an itemized list of things. That your talking points when it, you're going to talk about backing the blue. And you're still pushing this um, foolishness where we're telling kids that because you're white, you're an oppressor. We're not doing that. Stop lying. Trump 2.0, quit it. And let me explain something to you, DeSantis. There, the reason why many people move to Florida, it's the weather, baby. The weather. People are tired of the cold and they want the warm weather for the most part year round. That's why Florida is bursting at its seams. Don't get it twisted. Don't think you're all that. It ain't you. It's the weather. Every summer, we have hundreds of thousands of people that move to to Florida. They're moving more to central Florida now because south Florida is like jam-packed. Don't know where we're going to put roads. But it, yeah, don't think it, you know, you're so great down here. Thank the weather. <laughs> Javet said he gave you his talking point. He backing the blue no matter what. <laughs> oh, to go back to an article. Thank you, Dre. Appreciate you sending this over. So here's an update to the previous article relating to the bishop that was murdered. The housekeeper's husband is arrested 
So authorities have arrested the husband of a woman who worked as a housekeeper for the auxiliary Bishop David G. O'Connell in connection with the slaying of the beloved Los Angeles cleric official said on Monday. And this is courtesy of the Los Angeles Times. Los Angeles County Sheriff Robert Luna identified Carlos Medina as the suspect in the slaying. He did not cite a motive, but said a tipster had told authorities Medina was acting strangely after the killing and claimed that the bishop owed him money. Luna said Medina is 65. However, jail records show the suspect is 61. He is being held in lieu of a $2 million bail. Luna said detectives connected Medina to the crime from a, a surveillance video that showed a vehicle at the O'Connell home about the time of the killing, a dark compact SUV. Weapons were found at Medina's home in Torrance, and Luna said ballistic tests are pending. Revelations about the shooting. Okay, we spoke about that. Came. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that, thank you, thank you. I appreciate that, Dre. Thank you so much for sending that over. So I'm sure money, money. Where did I hear? Did I hear or did I read about somebody who killed somebody over $20? Oh my gosh, this is getting ridiculous and out of hand. But um, yeah, federal judges um, are under fire. Yeah, frail people are left to die in prison as judges fail to act on a law to free them. Story courtesy of NPR.org. Jimmy D. Stout was serving time on drug charges when he got grim news early last year. Doctors told Stout, who is now 62, the sharp pain and congestion in his chest were caused by stage 4 lung cancer, a terminal condition. I'm holding on, but I would like to die at home. He told the courts in a request last September for compassionate release after serving about half of his nearly 15-year sentence. A federal compassionate release law allows imprisoned people to be freed early for extraordinary or compelling reasons like terminal illness or old age. Stout worried because COVID-19 had swept through prisons nationwide and he feared catching it would speed up his death. He was bedridden most days and used a wheelchair because he was unable to walk. But his request to die surrounded by loved ones, including two daughters he raised as a single father, faced long odds. More than four years ago, former President Donald Trump signed the First Step Act, a bipartisan bill meant to help free people in federal prisons who are terminally ill or aging, and who pose little or no threat to public safety. Supporters predicted the law would save taxpayers money and reverse decades of tough-on-crime policies that drove incarceration rates in the U.S. to among the highest in the world. Both data from the U.S. Sentencing Commission shows judges rejected more than 80% of compassionate release requests filed from October 2019 through September 2022. Judges made rulings without guidance from the Sentencing Commission, an independent agency that develops sentencing policies for the courts. The commission was delayed for more than three years because Congress did not confirm Trump's nominees and President Joe Biden's appointees were not confirmed until August. As a result, 
academic researchers, attorneys, and advocates for prison reform said the law has been applied unevenly across the country. Later this week, the Federal Sentencing Commission is poised to hold an open meeting in Washington, D.C. to discuss the problem. They'll be reviewing newly proposed guidelines that include, among other things, a provision that would give consideration to people housed in a correctional facility who are at risk from an infectious disease or public health emergency. The lag in compassionate release is particularly alarming because prisons are teeming with aging inmates who suffer from cancer, diabetes, and other conditions, academic researchers have said. A 2021 notice from the Federal Register estimates the average cost of care per individual is about $35,000 per year. So how do we feel, folks? Should the judges be pushing to send them home or let them continue to serve their time and die incarcerated? For me, it depends on the crime. For example, murderers, child molesters, women abusers, the other word with the R. Mm -hmm. Why should you uh, spend your time at home? Some people's time may not go as quick. Stage two, there's a lot of people that live from stage two cancer he has stage four i think oh okay yeah he's stage four some people still survive with that sometimes mm -hmm. but for me it's going to depend on the crime okay even though it's costing thirty five thousand dollars yep okay because no i'll just i'll just say i'll leave it there i'll leave it there okay Latoya agrees with you <laughs> in the chat. She agrees. If they're not a threat to and depending on the crime, the R's, the M's, they need to rot in prison. The rapists and the murderers. Yeah. How many of us agree? I agree. Because age is just a number, right? When it comes to certain crimes. Age is just a number. Who is to tell that when you get out, you don't still have that though, the vendetta inside of you and the revenge that you want to still kill people and you order it? How do we know? Because the truth is we tend to feel sorry for the elderly and the, 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 the severely ill. Isn't that true? We're very compassionate and we feel, oh my gosh, they can't hurt a fly. Forgetting that the mind still works. We'll, we can forgive you. We can forgive you. But forgiving you doesn't mean that we want you out. Drug charges. How we feel about that one? If you're not the kingpin, I guess you can go. But it depends. Depends. All right. No, some, some of those crimes... You are, um, what's the word? You can talk down the sentence. Like they may have, they know that you killed someone, but they only have you on drugs. Mm -hmm. 
I don't think they would want me on the review board. Let's just say. <laughs> Clearly not. Uh, no, remove her, please. I'm sorry. She can't. She can't. She can't sit here. No. Yeah. Ah, <laughs> oh, boy. Um, yeah. It, it depends on the crime. Really depends on the crime. All right. Um, <laughs> an 85-year-old woman in Florida, St. Lucie, to be exact, was killed after an incident with an alligator. And this happened on Monday, um, according to wildlife officials. Story courtesy of CNN. The F Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission, FWC, and St. Lucie County Sheriff's Office responded Monday to a 911 call about an apparent alligator bite in St. Lucie, Florida. The FWC spokesperson, Ariel Callender, told CNN the woman was with her dog when the incident happened and the dog survived, although its condition was currently unknown. CNN affiliate WPTV reported an alligator grabbed the woman's dog and when she tried to get the dog back, she somehow fell victim to the gator. Um, the alligator is estimated to be about 11 feet long. The woman was recovered and the alligator involved in the incident was captured by a contracted nuisance alligator trapper. Our thoughts and deepest sympathies are with the family and friends of the victim. According to the statement, serious injuries caused by alligators are rare in the state of Florida. The FWC places the highest priority on public safety and administers a statewide nuisance alligator program called SNAP to address complaints concerning specific alligators believed to pose a threat to people, pets, or property. So I want to know, are we going to put the alligator down? That's all I want to know. Are we putting him down? They, they normally do. You sure about that? Yeah, don't they normally do if the alligator kills somebody? Mm -mm. They don't. A, a dog they will, hey, but not an alligator. Hey. Alligators are nah. protected here. I know, but it, I, I know that <laughs> the gators are protected, but I, I need to look it up because I normally yeah, think like once yeah. they kill somebody, I put them down. Look it up for me, Jay. Look it up for me, Jay. Look it up. I hope they do. Sometimes they do. Sometimes they um they move them to a different location, but sometimes they do. Move them to a different location so they get to live. Huh. I think if they could. Good morning, everyone. Good morning, Rosolo. Okay, so the, the alligator, the lady, the lady saved, tried to save the dog from the alligator. <laughs> yes. That's what. Yes. So let's get back to the nit of the story where I'm going to start the nonsense. Um, cause <laughs> yes, I know you're coming with it. So let the dog go. Let the dog go. You know, I, I understand that they're dog lovers and they would risk, this is a perfect example of a human being risking their life for a dog. But at some point, let the dog go. Let the dog go and just save yourself. That's what I would say. I, I have a little puppy and you are on the phone with me all the time. When, I, when she starts barking at these pit bulls and great Danes and she's a Pomeranian and I stand at my door. <laughs> Moments will tell you. I stand, I, I tell her all the time. Go ahead, do your thing. <laughs> I'm not grabbing you or running you down from a pit bull. I'm not I'm not doing any of that. And I just, um, I just don't. I can't understand that. I, I I don't I don't get it. 
I don't get why you would risk your life for a dog. I, I just really don't. Have you ever seen an alligator up close, Rosolo? No, <laughs> why would I? Why would I? <laughs> Listen, they sunbathe. So out on 8th Street, when you're heading out to um, Seminole, uh, Miccosukee land, right? So all along the canal, you'll see them sunbathing or gliding through the water. And people are jogging along the trail right there or riding their bikes. No barrier. What kind of people? What kind of people? What kind of people? <laughs> okay, about... there we have it again. Okay. <laughs> Sounds about white to Sounds me. Sounds about white. They'll be jogging along or riding their bikes or cars parked up and they're standing and fishing. <laughs> and the alligators are there sunbathing. Sometimes the alligators have a couple of those white birds. I think they're storks on their backs i don't know what the birds are picking off or sometimes the birds are just there lounging on their backs and i'm like i'll be damned they're acting like these alligators are pets what happened if these things are hungry they're gonna get you but is but um yeah mm, alligator country folks um i ain't doing it i ain't doing it if i come home and see one in my backyard y'all can have the house peace out I'll go call who I need to call because I, I ain't going to argue with you. I'm not. Over a dog, have the dog. She dumb as heck. The question is, would she have made the same effort for another human being? I doubt that's it. The that's the key to the whole I thing. Doubt would, it. would you have made that? Would she have made that same effort if the alligator had been or, or, or snatched a human being? I doubt it. <laughs> Let's say. Let me ask a question. I didn't know they had alligators up there in New York. Tasha says we have our own alligator issue. Julie says, you saw the story too. The poor thing was so cold and hungry. It wasn't moving. Julie feeling sorry for the alligator. Poor thing. Every canal, every little lake in Florida has alligators in it even in our backyard in the community in our backyard where they have some townhomes the big sign is there the big sign is there that, that's just south florida you ever you russell you used to go to have you ever been to bahama breeze out at um sawgrass mills mall the mall alone the side of the mall alone tells exactly you that's, that's alligator country it is alligator country. That that remember that was part of alligator alley. Yes, the Everglades. So, yes, <laughs> it was part of that. So yes, that's swampland. Sawgrass Mills is built on swampland. It's beautiful over there, but yeah. But Rosolo, have you ever watched the white folks standing up out on the grass <laughs> while the alligators are gleaning in the water and just looking just at them like, it. "Come in here, let that is it. Come I can't on in really. here. Come on in here." Yeah. I can't relate. I can't relate to what they do. I have an issue with the iguanas because when I went back to visit, all of a sudden it's like iguana land. The iguanas everywhere. I won't even go to see my mom. You understand? Because to drive to her house, <laughs> I have to pass all these iguanas. Absolutely not. You come see me. Absolutely not. You, you, so, you, no. you want to know where you can see iguanas? Right um, Oakland Park. Yes. Where, um, where our Caribbean restaurant is that we like, yes. Um, yes. in that open field, in that public yes. plaza where they have Xfinity yes. and so on, yes. the field is filled with iguanas. Yes, it is. 
It is Lauderdale Lakes. The entire Lauderdale Lakes is your driver. And then they want to, do you want to go for a walk? A walk where? No, no. Did I tell you about the time when I was coming home and I, as I turned away, I normally turn, and there is this huge alligator in the, I'm not alligator, I'm sorry, iguana. He's almost as big as me in the middle of the road, right between our driveway and the neighbor's uh, driveway across the street. I turned around. I said, you can have it. <laughs> that's, that, that's an iguana. I, I, I hate those things. And they were just moving. I turned around and went around the other way. By the time I went around, he was gone. I don't know where he went to. Don't care. What was flushed down the toilet, Javette? Alligators. They used to flush them down the toilet when I was younger. Baby alligators. So they got to be huge in New York now. <laughs> I didn't know you had those things up in New York. I thought it was just rats up in New York. So why are the alligators? I think she's talking in Texas. No, we're talking Texas or New York. We're talking Javette. New York. New York. Yeah. They oh, used to oh. have big baby alligators, I, like we used to get baby turtles in Chinatown. You used to get alligators as well. I had baby turtles that turned into huge turtles. I just took them to Prospect Park and put them in a lake. So I'm sure people have other animals like that, and they do the same thing. Shouldn't have a rat problem in New York if you have alligators up there. Feed, feed them rats to the alligators. Are you and rats are gangster. You don't see the TikTok videos? <laughs> a New York rat will beat an alligator up. You know I believe it. I believe a New York it. rat will beat an alligator up. Okay. <laughs> in Florida, I don't mess with the alligators. In New York, I stay clear of the rats. I'm not. No. Nah. I've seen a new. I've seen a rat in New York with a briefcase and a pair of shades walk onto the train. And it's Timberland okay. boots. Yeah. Okay. What you got over there in Texas? Snakes. Coyotes. Everything. Let me tell you, even the insects scares the heck out of me sometimes they so huge <laughs> every like everything oh my gosh it's so funny because when i when i get kind of antsy around them they'll say to me but aren't you used to rats and roaches i'm like yeah rats and roaches not all this <laughs> stuff that y'all have javette julie put in the chat especially those wearing the tims they carry knives <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Julie. Yes. And, and, and razor blades in their teeth. Yeah. <laughs> ah, oh, jeez. Um, uh, how is it working out, though? Remember a couple months ago, we spoke about them changing up the schedule for garbage collection. Uh, they were going to pick up earlier or something like that to try and have the rats <laughs> to stave off the rats. How did that work out? Because I know that rats gangster. They, they're smart. And I, who you think you're fooling? We're on top of this. Uh, oh boy all right i'm sure now they know how to tell time in new york too julie <laughs> <laughs> said the rats held a rally i was just about to say that <laughs> y'all want me to go to new york y'all can keep new york oh lord have mercy because i don't know who cooking my food i don't care how expensive these restaurants are upscale these restaurants are 
Who in the kitchen? Ratatouille. <laughs> I'm sorry. Just, just don't eat any beef or chicken. Just have fish, <laughs> fish and shrimp. <laughs> I'm not even. Who remembers that comedian? I heard he died. Um, the one that would always... He, he was a good stand-up comedian. Um, he did uh, the one about the bodega, where you walk into the bodega and the cat is sitting on the bread. I know him, man. His name is Rashid. Um, what's his last name? And he was making fun of the Jamaicans too, yes, right? Yes, yes. Let me see if I can find him on YouTube. I, I, I thought it was funny. I'm like, does that happen for real in New York where you walk in and the... Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Is it Rashid Wallace? Oh, let me see. I know it's like Rashid. I only remember the last name. Could be. Oh my gosh. That's why to this day, before I drink a soda, have a bottle, like a can or a bottle, I wipe it. I wipe it down. <laughs> even when I use a straw, even when it come out of a box, I wipe it down. Javette, nobody in New York should ever get sick. Y'all are made different. Spanish people, Puerto Rico in the house. Yeah. Oh, I fuck with Spanish people. Oh, I'm sorry. Because <laughs> Poppy ain't no snitch. You be like, Poppy, somebody just got killed on the third floor? <laughs> that's not me. I live on the five floor, that's it. Somebody die on three, that's not me, baby. There's some black people in this world you can rob, but an old Spanish man ain't that dude. You can jump out of the dock with a gun. You be like, Poppy, give me all your money. He said, I don't give you nothing. You be like, Poppy, you better give me your money before I shoot the shit. I said, look, I'll give you five dollars, that's it. <laughs> then he wants you to turn the fuck around like you ain't even got a gun. He said, turn around, I'll give you five dollars. You don't turn around, Poppy, walk the fuck off. Now you walking behind this nigga with a gun in his back. You like, Poppy, you better give me your money before I shoot the shit out of you. So I try to give you that money over there. You don't think it. Poppy will walk your ass 20 fucking blocks. Now you mad because your fucking feet hurt. You like, Poppy, you better give me your money before I shoot the shit out of you right here. He said, you're gonna shoot me right here? He said, yeah, I'm gonna kill you right the fuck here. He said, that's okay, I live right here. <laughs> you want that $5? You don't want that $5? You're like, nigga, give me the fucking $5. My fingers don't work fast enough. Not at all. Not at yeah, all. Thank God it's internet radio. Yeah, but <laughs> I love him. <laughs> love him. Absolutely. He died. When did he die? That's what I heard. Let me, let me, Rashid. Yeah, he died years ago. He died like literally right when he was supposed to blow up. That, that's the sad part. Was, oh, it, man. was it from natural causes, Dre? Yeah, it's something like a brain aneurysm, something like that though. Oh no. Yeah. You know who else I miss, right? Um, Patrice. Bur huh? Bernie Mac. Love him. 
there's this other guy called Patrice O'Neill. Man, he was funny too. Yeah, sorry about the expletives, folks. I could not get to them fast enough. Uh, you see, that's why you can't do random pop-ups <laughs> of uh, things. But yeah, Rashid, may his soul rest in peace. Prosecutors dropped the gun enhancement charge against Alec Baldwin in Rust shooting case. Are we surprised? Didn't we say? Nope. Didn't we say? Didn't we call it? Yep. Call us Cleo. Call me no. <laughs> there are a lot of things we tend to call right here. Yeah, so according to BallerAlert.com, Monday the Santa Fe District Attorney's Office said it is dropping the gun enhancement charge initially brought against Alec Baldwin following the October 2021 fatal shooting of cinematographer Haliana Hal Hutchins, Miss Hutchins on the set of Rust. The crime would have carried a five-year sentence if he had been convicted. Baldwin still faces an involuntary manslaughter charge. However, if convicted, that crime would carry a lesser sentence of 18 months. Do we see them dropping that one too? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In a February 10 motion, the actor's team argued the enhancement was unconstitutional since it did not apply at the time of the shooting writing. The incident occurred in October 2021, but the current version of the law did not take effect until May 2022. The prosecutors committed a basic legal error by charging Mr. Baldwin under a version of the firearm enhancement statute that did not exist on the date of the incident or the accident. The filing read. Baldwin and Gutierrez Reed are scheduled to be in court February 24. Wow. Wow. But did he load the gun though? I don't think he's the He one wasn't the one. Gutierrez Reed did. Uh, yeah. Because she she's the one who is the set's armorer. She's responsible for making sure that no real bullets are in the gun. So, I mean, at the end of the day, how, how, how would he know it's the wrong bullets in the gun? I don't know. Wait, is it? How does a gun that's loaded with a real bullet versus an, a, a, a blank feel? I don't know. I don't know. Mm, don't know, but I don't. Um, yeah, yeah. If they're gonna charge, I have to charge that person load the gun as well. That's my that's my opinion, though. I mean, they have to charge the person who load the gun, and because he didn't, well, I'm assuming he didn't know it was real. Mm -hmm. Let's let me use that because I'm not sure if he knows. So if he didn't know, I don't think it's right to charge him for something he didn't know. Mm -hmm. oh, but that's my opinion. So. What is interesting for me, Marlon, is that the set's armorer, and I want to feel that she is someone who is experienced, Hannah Gutierrez-Reed. She's also facing the same involuntary manslaughter charge as Baldwin. But if this is something that you've been doing for a while and no real bullets are supposed to be on set, how did the real bullets get there? 
But it's been, well, I don't know, because they happened to Bruce Lee and uh, his son, too. Same thing. Wrong bullets and the wrong gun. So, I mean, bullets in the, the real bullets in the gun. So, I don't know how they made a mistake, but I believe if you're doing a movie like that, I don't think you should have real bullets on set at all. Period. That's my, but I don't know why they keep real bullets there. It must be a reason why. I don't know. But I wouldn't have real bullets there at all. And if you do, they should be millions of miles away. And if you need them, you go and you go get them. But they shouldn't be close to each other. Locked up. Locked away, if you ask me. Which leads me to ask the question, was this deliberately done by Hanno? I'm sorry. I have no other way to look at it. I don't know. We'll find out soon. I have to agree that it was deliberate, but someone needs to be held accountable. First thing, when you have any type of firearm, first thing, I don't even understand why they need a real gun. They have fake guns that look like real guns. Why do they have a real gun on set? That's that's the first thing. And when you do handle a gun, you're never supposed to point it toward anybody. It's never supposed to be pointed toward any person. That's the first rule before they even stick the gun in your hand. Yeah. I'm sorry. Wasn't he supposedly, wasn't he doing the scene and he was pointed towards the camera and she was behind the camera? Mm. Yeah, that's what happened with this. Yeah. Oh, it was during the scene? Okay, I didn't know yeah, that. Yeah, it was during the scene, yeah. Hmm. So then. But still, to your point, Javette, a real gun. Exactly. With real bullets in it. And, and I, to Javette's point, someone needs to be held accountable. And it's the person who's in charge of the armor. Unfortunately, that's, yeah. that, that's where the um, responsibility lies. Unfortunately. Unfortunately. All right. So um, it's time for business and tech news. Home Depot to spend $1 billion more on hourly workers. Story courtesy of CNN via WSVN. Home Depot said it will increase pay and benefits for frontline hourly staff by $1 billion this year. Another sign of a tighter labor market and rising wages across the U.S. economy. The home improvement retail chain did not detail how much of a pay raise the average hourly worker will receive. The company disclosed the plan for increased compensation on Tuesday when reporting record earnings for the fiscal year that ended in January. Earnings for the year reached $17.1 billion, up 4% from a year earlier, while net sales also rose 4% to $157 billion. Quarterly earnings per share of $3.30 were $0.02 cents better than forecast 
by analysts surveyed by Refinitiv. The company's shareholders will also benefit from its successful year as it announced it is raising its dividend by 10% or about $780 million. So, for all of you who have some money or who have money invested in Home Depot, things are looking good for you. Share your riches, please. <laughs> We're always on the receiving end. I'm only kidding. But good job, uh, Home Depot. Super Nintendo, Sega Genesis. Which which rap is that? Biggie Smalls, right? Super Nintendo. Okay, get back to it, Robins. Get back to it. Super Nintendo World officially opens at Universal Studios in Hollywood. That's according to BallAlert.com. The new land in the California theme park is centered around popular Nintendo games and characters like Mario, Luigi, Bowser, and Princess Peach. It features an augmented reality Mario Kart ride, a Toad-inspired restaurant, as well as many interactive activities to engage the entire family within the Mushroom Kingdom. Fans of the classic video game can also enjoy attractions, character sightings, shopping at the One Up Factory retail store, and more. One day general admission is $109, Universal Express $199, VIP Experience DROM $369, two day general admission $149. There is also an annual or season pass, which allow early access to the park. California Neighbor Pass $179 a month, Silver Annual Pass $8 a month, Gold Annual Pass $13 a month, and Platinum Annual Pass $28 per month. So, Californians, you're up. You're up, you're up. United Airlines is allowing families to sit together with new seat policies. So, for those of you who travel United, this may be good news for you, courtesy of BallAlert.com. So United Airlines is trying to ease the hassle of finding a seat for a family, and they want families to be stress-free. The new seat policy is expected to take place in early March. The Chicago-based airline made the announcement on Monday. United has announced that it is improving family seating by making the policy easier than ever for children under 12 to sit next to an adult in their party for free, including customers who purchase basic economy tickets. The company said in a press release, the new policy is made possible through a series of investments in a new seat map feature that dynamically finds available adjacent seats at the time of booking. The online seat engine reviews all available free economy seats and then opens complementary upgrades to available preferred seats if needed. The decision comes after less than a year of federal officials urging airlines to make booking a flight for a family easier. Customers traveling with children under 12 will start to see adjacent seating immediately. However, the whole policy will not go into effect until early March. Why do they make it so difficult for folks, man? You got to pay for different seats on the planes, depending on where you want to sit, right? And they're very strategic with it. You want to sit here, you got to pay $11 or $17 or $21 or $30-something. Come on, airlines. 
Can we go back to the days of just charging one flat rate? And that was it. That was it. Who remembers in the, back in the day when they used to have smoking versus non-smoking? That was the only thing, apart from first class, right? It was smoking or non-smoking. Can we simplify life, please? My Target folks, Target brand chocolates recalled due to undeclared pine nuts, courtesy of WSVN. Uh, a Target brand Valentine's Day candy is getting recalled. Reports said that the favorite day chocolate-covered caramels contain undeclared tree nuts. Tree nuts are a major risk for those with nut allergies. Anyone who has purchased the item can call Target and receive a full refund. Or you may visit uh, Target's website. So the, the packages, you know, let me put the link on the um, on Clubhouse so my Clubhouse folks can see what the package looks like. Um, so if anybody gave you or you purchased a favorite day milk chocolate, you will want to um, call Target. Oops, sorry. What am I doing? Okay, copy. Here we go. Um, First Clubhouse. Okay, here you go. Click the link at the top of the page. For my folks listening online on QMZ Radio and JohnOradio.com, the packaging is uh, pink and white, and it says Favorite Day Milk Chocolate, and has pictures of um, five, what do you call that, nuggets, right, on it. So look out for that, and be very careful. Okay, so check your pantries. Check your drawers at work, so on and so forth. Research in health and science news, research casts a light um, on something new. New research could help nurses and police detect bruises on dark-skinned people. This one is a clip, and I'm going to go ahead and play it, courtesy of, um, oops, I pressed something wrong here, courtesy of NPR.org. Here we go. New forensic techniques are making it easier to detect bruises on people with darker skin. This might help victims of assault and domestic violence find justice. Here's NPR's Carrie Johnson. Catherine Scafidi worked as a forensic nurse for eight years. She noticed something about survivors of sexual assault and domestic violence with black or brown skin. It was hard to see their injuries. Bruises tell us a lot about what has happened to a particular patient who's experienced violence. And unfortunately, if I can't see the bruise, clearly it really limits my ability of what to document and what to report in the medical record. That medical record often becomes evidence for criminal investigators. Scafidi and her team at George Mason University found that blue or purple light is much better at detecting bruises on those patients. The Justice Department is praising the work as a model of inclusive research. Nancy Levine directs the National Institute of Justice, which funded the study. I think this speaks to the embedded racial disparities in a lot of the research we do today, that all of these methodologies that were so traditional were developed to identify bruises on white skin. The research continues. Scafidi is now developing a set of guidelines for forensic nurses to use. Nancy Downing's a professor of forensic nursing at Texas A&M University. 
It's really important to me that we are not promoting something to be used without people understanding how to use it correctly. Downing says juries want to see evidence of injuries, but she says there need to be scientifically validated standards for using these technologies to help prevent wrongful convictions. Chris Fabricant agrees. Fabricant's a lawyer at the Innocence Project. He welcomes rigorous testing of some of these methods and says it's important to develop objective standards for evaluating bruises. The use on the front end of unreliable or untested forensic evidence to secure convictions makes it really almost impossible to undo miscarriages of justice unless you have conclusive DNA. Carrie Johnson, NPR News, Washington. Thank you, NPR, for that article. So it looks as though there is going to be some progress. I'm, I welcome it because there has been a lot that has gone under the radar. DNA is not often available at crime scenes, despite its prominence in the popular culture, which makes it all the more important to develop objective standards for evaluating bruises. Well done. All right, and we look forward to them using it effectively, not just having access to it, but using it effectively. All right. And that, um, <clears throat> excuse me, that wraps up our business and um, tech as well as our health and science news. Now it's on to our Black History Moment. And we're going to talk about this day in history, February 2021. This article is courtesy of the JamaicaObserver.com. What are today's highlights? 1965, former black Muslim leader Malcolm X is shot and killed by assassins as he was about to address a rally in New York City. And other events that happened on this day. Back in 1795, freedom of worship is established in France. In 1838, American Samuel Morse gives the first public demonstration of the telegraph in New York. In 1866, Lucy B. Hobbs becomes the first American woman to graduate from dental school when she does so from Ohio College of Dental Surgery in Cincinnati. In 1878, the District Telephone Company of New Haven, Connecticut issues the first U.S. telephone directory. In 1922, British Protectorate in Egypt ends. In 1925, the New York Magazine makes its debut. In 1963, the Soviet Union warns the United States that an American attack on Cuba will mean world war. In 1967, sorry, the Jamaica Labour Party, JLP, defeats the People's National Party, PNP, in the sixth general election, and the JLP wins 33 seats and the PNP 20. In 1972, U.S. President Richard M. Nixon arrives in Beijing for a week-long visit that paves the road for normalized U.S.-China relations. In 1986, the South African government opens the whites-only downtown districts of Johannesburg and Durban to all races. In the first break with the apartheid policy of segregated business areas. And I want us to stop there for just a second. 1986, how long ago was that? 
Just the other day, you know that? Just the other day. It's 2023. And we can look back and say just the other day. 1986. Where was I? I was in high school. Yeah, I was in ninth grade to be exact. I was 12 years old. Yeah, 12. Yeah, I was 12 years old. Uh-huh. Imagine. That was when they opened the whites-only downtown districts of Johannesburg and Durban to all races. In the first break with the apartheid policy of segregated business areas. In 1989, playwright Vaclav Havel is convicted for his role in an officially banned rally in Czechoslovakia in 1992 for the first time. Since the communist revolu revolution of 1949, China welcomes foreigners back to its Shanghai stock market. Mm. Interesting. There are so many things we didn't know that happened. Um on this day and today's birthdays imagine earlier we were talking about robert mugabe today would have been his birthday nina simone civil rights activist and singer born 1933 on this day to 2003 all right so just some um little facts and for those of you who love Givenchy, hubert de Givenchy, french couturier and fashion designer was born on this day as well in 1927, died 2018. All right, little, little known things here and there about this day. But yeah, today Malcolm X was born. I'm sorry, was murdered. Let's put it right. Was shot and killed by assassins or was assassinated, I would say. Um, assassinated. Yeah, assassinated. Yeah, definitely. And for those who are not quite familiar with Malcolm X, let me just pull up a little bit about him. He was born Malcolm Little, later Malik El Shabazz, on May 19, 1925, died February 21, 1965, was an American Muslim minister and human rights activist who was a vocal advocate for black empowerment and the promotion of Islam within the black community. community a posthumous autobiography on which he collaborated with Alex Haley was published in 1965. Malcolm spent his adolescent years living in a series of foster homes or with relatives after his father's death and his mother's hospitalization. He committed various crimes being sentenced to 10 years in prison in 1946 for larceny and burglary. In prison, he joined the nation of Islam, adopting the name Malcolm X, to symbolize his unknown African ancestral surname while discarding the white slave master name of Little. And after his parole in 1952, quickly became one of the organization's most influential leaders. He was the public face of the organization for 12 years, advocating black empowerment and separation of black and white Americans and criticizing Martin Luther King Jr. and the mainstream civil rights movement for its emphasis on nonviolence and racial integration. 
Malcolm X also expressed pride in some of the nation's social welfare achievements, such as its free drug rehabilitation program. Throughout his life, beginning in the 1950s, Malcolm X was subjected to surveillance by the FBI, Federal Bureau of Investigation. In the 1960s, Malcolm X began to grow disillusioned with the Nation of Islam, as well as with its leader, Elijah Muhammad. He subsequently embraced Sunni Islam and the civil rights movement after completing the Hajj to Mecca and became known as El Hajj Malik El Shabazz. After a brief period of travel across Africa, he publicly renounced the Nation of Islam and founded the Islamic Muslim Mosque Inc., MMI, and the Pan-African Organization of Afro-American Unity, OAAU. Throughout 1964, his conflict with the Nation of Islam intensified, and he was repeatedly sent death threats. On February 21, 1965, he was assassinated in New York City. Three nation members were charged with the murder and given indeterminate life sentences. In 2021, two of the vacations were vacated. Speculation about the assassination and whether it was conceived or aided by leading or additional members of the nation or with law enforcement agencies has persisted for decades. A controversial figure accused of preaching racism and violence. Malcolm X is also a widely celebrated figure within African-American and Muslim-American communities for his pursuit of racial justice. He was posthumously honored with Malcolm X Day, on which he is commemorated in various cities across the United States. Hundreds of streets and schools in the U.S. have been renamed in his honor. While the Audubon Ballroom, the site of his assassination, was partly redeveloped in 2005 to accommodate the Malcolm X and Dr. Betty Shabazz Memorial and Education Center. He was born in Omaha, Nebraska, the fourth of seven children of Grenada-born Louis Helen Little and Georgia-born Earl Little. May his soul continue to rest in peace, Malcolm X. His father was also murdered. Hmm. Didn't know that, Javette. Didn't know that. Learn something new every day. All right. That's our Black History moment for today. And believe it or not, stories. Let me see if I can squeeze these in real quick. Alaska woman admits to killing her best friend after a catfisher promised her $9 million. Courtesy of Bala Alert. So on Wednesday, 22-year-old Denali Bramer pleaded guilty to murdering her best friend, 19-year-old Cynthia Hoffman, in 2019. According to the Alaska public media, Bramer was catfished by a man named Darren Skilmer, Skillmiller. At the time, Skillmiller was a 21-year-old pretending to be a millionaire named Tyler. Skillmiller posted online that he was offering $9 million for the rape and murder of someone in Alaska. He convinced Bramer and two other teens to carry out the crime and then send him pictures as proof. On June 2nd, Bramer and the two teens lured Huffman to take a hike with them to Thunderbird Falls, 
The teens then tied Hoffman up and duct-taped her mouth, feet, and hands. Shortly after, the teens shot Hoffman in the back of the head with a 9mm handgun. Bremer and her two accomplices also sent Skill Miller the video and photo footage at his directive throughout the duration of the event via Snapchat. After that, the three teenagers pushed Hoffman's body into the Eklutna River to make matters worse. The teens also attempted to burn the body before sending her parents a text that she had been dropped off somewhere else. Nevertheless, Bremer's sentencing is scheduled for August 22nd. If she's convicted, the 22-year-old could face anywhere from 30 to 99 years behind bars. I hope everybody will be serving that time, including the, the um, Darren Skilmer. Everybody. Life. Without the eligibility for parole. I, I'm sorry. <sighs> Wicked. Four white um, women were caught harassing Mexican, a Mexican street vendor in a viral TikTok video. In the clip, four women are standing in front of Andres Alvarez's hot dog cart. One of them complains that $7 for a hot dog is too much and threatens to F over the vendor. Two of the women began grabbing food off the grill and throwing it at him. They grabbed his bacon with their hand his vegetables, and everything that he uses. People realized all the dirty things they were doing and it disgusted them and they no longer wanted to buy any more from him. An eyewitness identified as Morgan McBriatry told NBC News that when she walked up to the cart located outside Viejas Arena, Arena sorry, at San Diego State University, Argeles Alvarez was already being harassed. She decided to intervene after she saw the woman being rude to Alvarez and grabbing food off his grill. She told the outlet that after she purchased the food and left, the girls were still continuing to harass him. <sighs> What's wrong with us? And their students, they were identified as a current and former student among the group yeah i hope those current student gets um expelled i'm sorry I, I don't feel sorry for you you know full well what you were doing no home training sorry um a foster parent and a youth pastor were arrested in florida for human trafficking good catch them lock them up and throw away the key all right this article is refusing to open up for me. Let me see if I can close out everything here and get it back. Or let me go to my source, which is Ball Alert for my Believe It or Not news. But you have to be so careful. The least suspecting people are the ones you have to be so mindful of. I'm trying to find it back on their website because the link is not opening for me. Um, huh? I don't know Don, Le hold on. I don't know Don Lemon was under fire for some controversial comments that he made and he's going to be returning to CNN this morning after receiving formal training follow con following controversial comments. Well, anybody familiar with that one? 
what could he have said i love me some don lemon okay the other link is not definitely not opening up let me jump to this one so cnn confirmed don lemon would return to cnn this morning starting wednesday following his absence after making disparaging comments about former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley. The TV host sparked a controversial debate last week when he said Haley, also Republican presidential candidate, wasn't in her prime as a 51-year-old woman. He said Nikki Haley isn't in her prime. Sorry, a woman is considered to be in her prime in her 20s and 30s and maybe 40s. That's not according to me. Look it up. If you Google when is a woman in her prime, it'll say 20s, 30s, and 40s, he told his co-hosts Poppy Harlow and Caitlin Collins, who both looked stunned and offended. The Wall Street Journal obtained a memo sent out to staff Monday evening from CNN chairman and chief executive uh, Chris Licht, which said he had a frank and meaningful conversation with Lemon, who will participate in formal training. Hmm. Licht added that it is crucial that CNN balance accountability with fostering culture in which people can own, learn, and grow from their mistakes. Who wrote the rules as to when we are in our prime? But since they fire um, Como, or what's his name? Um, I think they've been trying to get the Lemon. Yeah, uh, since they fired him, Lemon been going off because he didn't agree with it. So they've been trying to get rid of him as well because he's been going in since that, since those that back from back then. So yeah, he was in Miami too and uh, enjoying South Beach when he when he, when he got uh, suspended. <laughs> so according to Google, what is the meaning for woman in her prime? Active and in good health, according to the Merriam-Webster's dictionary. Um, a woman in her prime is one who is in good health. She's just retired, but she's still in her prime. So I'm trying to see where um, he got his answer from. I, don't, I think he has um, outgrown CNN. I don't know. Maybe it's just me, but I think he has outgrown CNN. I think it's time for him to move on from CNN, quite frankly. Who are we talking about? Don, I just came. Don Lemon. Oh, it's one o'clock. Okay. Hold on, hold on. Let me do my wrap up real quick. I didn't realize the time. Oh my gosh. I did not realize the time. Did the remix. Same motion, just a different day. I hit trying to get it, get it, each and every Gotta give a big thank you to everyone that tuned in online on QMZRadio.com and JohnORadio.com. Thank you to everyone here with me on Clubhouse, where the conversation happens. I'm Moments With Me, and you were listening to Coffee Into World News on the Go. Tune in every Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. Eastern, where I read the news and we share our views. Coming up later on this evening, 7 p.m. Eastern, don't forget to set your alarms. The Rose Solo Show, live on QMZRadio.com, JanoRadio.com, and ViscosityBlend.com. See you then. QMZ Radio and John Radio. This is Moments with me signing out. Have yourselves a wonderful rest of the day. My